Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for that you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson, and we are live. Yeah. on youtube we had some technical difficulties for the last you know three months or so <laughs> but we're back and we're live on youtube we used to do this all the time so hello youtube watchers viewers i did a little poll the other day to see what people uh how they like to consume the podcast oh yeah what did you learn it was about 35 percent youtube now i maybe already knew that but mm. there's a lot of people who like to listen to the audio and watch us so you learn nothing either or that was good just good way to, to push the podcast it was great we got all sorts of new listeners they promised they would uh, they would listen you think that because people clicked, I will listen yep. on, on a poll, it means they're automatically new listenership now. Binding contract. They will. I, I, okay. Anyway, we're excited. We're previewing the uh, AFC and NFC North. Used to be the Central, Sam, back in the day. It did. AFC and NFC North. We already previewed the East and the West. Both, both divisions. Those are the last two podcasts we had. If you haven't listened, go check them out. Because we're going. We're giving every team some love. They get about you know between 12 and 25 minutes. Every single team. And we're going to preview the season. You ready to go? Yeah, let's go. No big news to hit on, really? Nothing. Nothing happened. Quiet couple of days, which is making the Daily a bit of a struggle at the moment. The PFF NFL Daily, which the, you should also subscribe to. Yeah, go check out the Daily. Uh, it is not on YouTube. Now, again, some people on YouTube were asking about that. If you really, really want to listen to the Daily on YouTube, we could try to push it through, make it happen. <laughs> I usually don't like recording the video for that thing. It's nice and relaxed, but we can make it happen if we need to. We could. Um, but yeah, it's audio only. And uh, make sure you download and subscribe. And also, make sure you subscribe over at pff.com. That's where you get all your fantasy tools, gambling tools, betting, really. It's not gambling. It's betting. It's just making an educated, you know, wager. That's what we do. Um, mm -hmm. But we've got all the tools for all that stuff over at pff.com. I suggest PFF Elite. The top package. Everything you need. 365 days of access. All right. We're going team by team. Starting in the AFC North. Timer has started. Oh, pause the timer. One second. I had an idea. Can we follow through with it for next Thursday's show? Can we get questions 
from I want I want questions from all 32 fan bases. Did you sign off on this idea? I, I you don't love it. I believe I cautioned this idea, but you apparently I think it's I think we push it through. It. So my my idea is I want to do one question per team. I want but I want our listeners to provide the questions. Uh-huh. So you can either email us at nflpodcast at pff.com, email us the question, or tweet us a question at pff underscore Steve, at pff underscore Sam. Tweet us uh what do we need a good hashtag for this? Okay. Hashtag, I want no part of this. I, hashtag I'm PFF questions. Washing my hands hashtag of this entire PFF enterprise. Questions so we can easily sort this thing. We'll answer one burning question per team on next next Thursday's show. We'll have burning more about question. this. I think, and then, but we're going to do it time limit style. So we'll ask the question. You get a minute. I get a minute. Done. And we need like a big, we need like a, a ding ding or something to like shut you down. Sound good? Okay. I'm just gonna. That's a great idea. I'm just gonna show up for the show and sit in the chair. You, no, no, no. You I need take your, care of all this. I need I, your interaction. I want no part of this. Start the timer. We're going Cincinnati Bengals, our hometown team. Let's preview the Bengals. What are they going to be this season? We've been on the previous podcast talking best case scenario, worst case scenario. So everybody spent all their time leading up to the draft talking about Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase. Do you go offensive line? Do you go receiver? The Bengals went receiver, which means the biggest question mark remains along that offensive line yeah and people are already claiming victory one way or the other based off training camp oh absolutely highlights and all those kinds of things burrow and the offense have been struggling at times they've been getting run over by the offense or the offensive line has been getting run over therefore the Bengals made the wrong choice and they should have drafted Panay Sewell who of course would have solved all five offensive line spots not just one um yeah look the Bengals offensive line is probably still going to be a weakness like they had, they they did address it. It's not like they did nothing. You know, they they bring in um, Jackson Carmen. Uh, they've hoped to get an improved Jonah Williams. They they should be better than last year, but they were one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL last year, and it was a an accident waiting to happen. Now, have they done enough to prevent that being the case again this year? Probably not. Let's break down their line. And again, I mentioned this before. PFF.com. We've got a depth chart section. It just it shows the starters. It shows you know eleven personnel, twelve personnel. But it's a great way to follow along because uh, breaking down the depth chart and the starting offensive line for the Bengals. Jonah Williams returns at left tackle. He is their best player. Signing Riley Reef, the epitome of the league average tackle, which is good. Which is a good, you know, it's a, it's a good player to have when you've had a below average right tackle over the last few years. So let's say improvement there. The biggest question is on the interior. And as um, maybe it was our friend Nate Tice or somebody mentioned, uh, don't forget, it was the guard who blew the block or whatever that that did get Joe Burrow hurt. So as much as everybody's like, hey, get Panay Sewell. And I mean, it was the guard. It was it was it was the interior, which is still a question mark. For and the, the reports in camp, it's not, you know, one guy has been getting his ass kicked and therefore Joe Burrow is running for his life. The entire offensive line is getting owned like th- this is not. One guy wouldn't fix this, right? Particularly one guy on the edge, while, as you say, the biggest problem remains on the interior. So you can, de- we've been through this ad nauseum, and it's painful, and it remains painful. The Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase thing was a coin flip, and one pick didn't change the situation they were presented with that offensive line. Sure, Panay Sewell would probably have upgraded somewhere on that line, but at least three-fifths of that line right now are still a weakness. He wouldn't have solved that. Yeah, I mean, um, you keep citing, yeah, Panay Sewell is only one player, which is true. But if you're going to revamp your offensive line, you do have to start somewhere. And having good players does help. So I, I don't necessarily buy your argument that Panay Sewell is 
not going to solve it overnight. Therefore, don't pick him. Um, but where that's they my are, argument. that's my argument that it's not. That's my argument is that because he doesn't solve it, it's not the reason to pick him. Like it is right, a coin you. flip between two very good players, each of whom address a weakness, each of whom advance some area of the field. And the reasons for picking one over the other are way more complicated than the idiot drawing cartoon graphic of, you know, you throw to a receiver with no Panay Sewell and Joe Burrow is getting killed. See, I love being live on YouTube because I do check out the comments every now and again, and I can answer Oliver Carter here, which is why not protect your future? I don't get it. And again, our answer will often be you can also protect the quarterback by having him get rid of the ball quickly. The only way you can get rid of the ball quickly is to have receivers who get open. And that is where the Bengals' strength will lie with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. When you have three legitimate receivers, chances are one of them is going to be open, right? So that is, that's the key. Or at least a T. Higgins might be covered, but you're like, hey, this dude's a basketball player. Throw it up to him. So you can protect your quarterback by giving him weapons to throw to. And they again, both work together to get rid of the ball and to not let your quarterback get hit. And again, they're not mutually exclusive. Just because you selected Jamar Chase at the top of the draft doesn't mean you are therefore forevermore ignoring the offensive line. They came back and drafted an offensive lineman. Like, they didn't ignore it. The next pick was spent on an offensive lineman. It's not like they decided that because we're picking Chase, we therefore have determined the offensive line is irrelevant and she'll never be fixed. Like, they came back with the next pick. They just, it was a decision about the balance. Which guy do you take up top? Which is the more important player? I thought, by the way, you were going to answer the guy asking, are we, uh, we're going to interview Bobby Wagner. Oh, yeah, I'm going to answer him too. Are we interviewing Bobby Wagner? I'm going to say maybe. He's probably not coming live. Maybe. I would guess. We have nothing set up for today, but the days that we did have something set up, he didn't show up. So, so if he calls us at the end of the show, we will interview Bobby Wagner live. Oh, I mean, There's if he chance. phones in, we'll definitely pick we up. We will absolutely answer. So if somebody could get Bobby to phone in, we will we'll answer the phone. Um, going back to the Bengals, uh, so let's just look at the interior of the offensive line quickly. Quinton Spain, who had a 56th grade last year, but is at least a couple years removed from playing good football. So that's a positive. But Trey Hopkins <laughs> at center was a bottom 10 center last year, even though he improved a lot. And Michael Jordan and Jackson Carmen battling for the right guard spot. I mean, that's Carmen was the second round pick, who I think is one of the most important picks in the draft. Because yeah. if he is good, right. it does at least move the I line mean, in the right direction. If Carmen doesn't start, that's a pretty bad indictment of that pick. Not because you shouldn't have picked him, but because you just potentially picked the wrong guy, right? If you had, if you had ignored... Panay Sewell drafted Jamar Chase and then picked a stud in the second round who comes in massively upgrades one guard spot like you could argue that that had as big an impact on where exactly your weakness are weakness is on that line versus Panay Sewell like you can argue that made a bigger difference now if he if he can't even start or he comes in he's bad that's a really bad I mean that just makes the pick look terrible yeah Carmen's the guy that you really need to keep an eye on so the Bengals I just uh, you know I I'm trying to quit Twitter a little bit, but I did see somebody make the, the joke, hey, the Bengals are the only team that's had a bad practice here so far. But the only offense that's practiced right. poorly in the preseason. How much do you make of the negativity coming out of practice? Joe Burrow looking uncomfortable. Um, and let me just preface this by saying, most quarterbacks who are coming off a knee injury do take time to get back. I mean, Brady did it in 2009. We've seen Carson Palmer take time after his knee injury here in Cincinnati. Usually guys take time after their knee injuries. So how much do we buy into the lack of hype coming out of Bengals preseason. Um, I mean, when you camp. listen to people, defenses are supposed to start ahead of offenses in terms of 
practice, right? When you first get everyone in pads on the field practicing, defense is supposed to be ahead because it takes a little bit longer to install all the stuff that you need for offenses to function cohesively. So it's not massively surprising that they've been ahead. Um, if it doesn't get better, though, and, and it's not even necessarily the that they've struggled, it's it's the way that they're struggling, right? Like the offensive line just getting repeatedly beat up, which was obviously the problem last year. And like if that doesn't start to get fixed, it I think it essentially is a foreshadowing of what this season is going to be for the Bengals, which is honestly very much like last season, which is the offensive line is simply not good enough for that offense to function the way it's supposed to. Let's describe what Joe Burrow's season was last year. Um, and this might sound, you know, he had a 75.1 overall grade, which for a rookie is very, very good. Uh, middle of the middle of the pack, grade, good, solid, and, and the distribution of the grade that we've cited here many times is intriguing. Up to 20 yards, Burrow had one of the highest PFF passing grades in the entire league. Beyond 20 yards, the worst. Terrible, horrible. This is exactly what Josh Allen was last year at this time. Right Now, they're completely different players, completely different arms, arm talent and the whole thing. But as we've said before, up to 20 yards is the more stable number. It is the number that is more indicative of future performance. The downfield stuff, especially the stats down the field, are very much dependent on the receiver, the scheme, and all that stuff. Which is I, part of the reason why Jamar Chase It's, it's why sense. Jamar Chase is here. So, I mean, I, I would bet strongly that Joe Burrow, I'm going to pull up his deep passing numbers as, as you respond here. I would bet strongly that his deep passing numbers are going to be not even just a little better, astronomically better with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, right? Um, and if he can, stays consistent up to 20 yards, the Bengals should be very excited. Potential breakout season for Joe Burrow. However, if he's under pressure 5% more than right. you would like, that would absolutely temper expectations. Yeah, I mean, the big one of the big differences between him and Josh Allen would be that Allen always had the plan, not always, but the platform with the offensive line was never the problem in terms of his deep ball. They did a good job of yeah, so building from, that line. From last year into, yeah. into last season, the offensive line was never a question mark about whether he could discover that deep ball. It was, you know, does he have the receivers to get it done? Can he just put the ball in the same zip code as those guys? Whatever it is. Whereas with Joe Burrow, you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, he made an upgrade at receiver. He got in Jamar Chase. That could have a Stephon Diggs-esque effect on that deep ball. He has the deep ball. We've seen it in college. Like he had an amazingly accurate deep pass. So it's within his capabilities. But is the offensive line there to enable him to get it done? Like, does he have the pocket to step into on a consistent basis to be able to make those deep throws? Burrow was nine for 48 on yeah, 20 plus terrible. yard throws. 61 grade was uh, fourth worst in the entire NFL. Nine for 48, 18% completion percentage. That is horrendous. That was, that was, uh, third worst in the NFL only Dwayne Haskins and Mitch Trubisky were worse so I expect those to get better not just because we're like oh you know things regress positively and all that stuff but he showed it in college and yeah. he showed it in college with Jamar Chase so I expect Bar Burrow to get better down the field um the one thing we've we've spent 90 percent of the time and I see the timer 80 hmm. percent of the time so far talking about the offense the Bengals defense has been neglected as far as discussion goes I think for much of this season and I think that's it's going to be a big part of of their story, they they invested heavily on the defensive line this offseason, invested in Trey Hendrickson as a free agent, re-signed Sam Hubbard to a big deal, uh, Larry Ogunjobi's there, DJ Reader. So over the last two years, they've completely overhauled this line. Will that be enough? Because even in the secondary, they're bringing Chidobe Awuzie at, at corner. 
They bring in Mike Hilton, who I love, to play the slot. Um, but those guys can be hit or miss, too, depending. Hilton might be a little scheme dependent. We'll see how he does outside of Pittsburgh. Still a lot of questions here on this defense. Yeah, and the overhauling of the defensive line, it's, it reminds me a little bit like Kansas City's offseason in terms of their offensive line. Like, it, it was just to stay where you were. You know, you had right. great players in Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap, and you develop a guy like Sam Hubbard. Um, you had uh, Carl, uh, Carl Lawson, um, who Sorry. was your best pass rusher for years, who, who departs to the Jets. And so you, you let Lawson walk, you replace him with Hendrickson, who's coming off a career year, but even his career year, the sacks were better, but overall was the pass rushing performance better than Carl Lawson? Probably not. Um, DJ Reader has come in, was injured, and hasn't yet shown what he can do. Ogunjobi flashed earlier in his career and has been disappointing since. So you've kind of brought in all these players, but the line doesn't look much better than it has been. It's just you prevented it completely collapsing and being like a group of nobody after uh, if you hadn't um, made some moves. So it's an intriguing group, and they have invested a lot, but it's certainly not going to carry a defense if the bank seven can't deal with it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what this looks like. I really think we're talking all AFC North right now. We'll talk the NFC North as well, but the AFC North, I think, might be right below the NFC West as one of the best, as the best division in football. I think the Bengals should be better. Browns and Ravens on paper look like they're battling for the top and say what you want, but we'll talk about the Steelers plenty, but you know, Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger is still there. Good defense still there. They'll be competitive. So if the Bengals even get better this year, and I'll say this for all four teams here, if they, even if they're better this year, will it show up in their record? I think that's a fair question mark here with Cincinnati uh, trying to gauge their improvement. Um, the D, if the defense is is average, I think they've got a shot. I mean, it's really if the defense gets to average, the O line gets closer to average. Those are the biggest stories to allow all of those star play potential playmakers to to shine. This is also a really rough division to have a bad offensive line in. Yeah, you've got Pittsburgh, really you've is. got Baltimore, Cleveland. Now have Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney and some like impact players on their defensive line. Like this is not a division to be rolling in there with a subpar offensive line. Maybe that is part of the argument, right? I mean, I, I know we talk to teams a lot and they do think a lot about their division. They think a lot about the games that they know they have to play. I have to play these games twice per year. And if there are trends within the division, you you have you, you maybe make a few team to building decisions there. So if you're talking a coin flip with Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase, how much should you be leaning Panay Sewell because of the way the Steelers blitz, the way the Ravens blitz, the way that the one-on-one -on -one pass rushers that the Steelers have? You mentioned the Browns with Miles Garrett and everything. I, I do wonder if that is the argument back in April that maybe could have swayed the Bengals the other way. Like, hey, we got to face all these really good pass rushes twice a year. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't. The Panay Sewell Jamar Chase argument has always been neither side is wrong. Like if you, I mean, the only people that are wrong in the whole argument are the ones that are 100% certain that they're right. Like the act, like yeah. if you, the conclusion is right either way, because I don't think honestly, anybody is smart enough to weigh up every single variable involved and decide the 49.3% edge here means you should go the other way. The only people that are wrong are the ones that are like, this is why I'm 100% right. You should have taken Chase or you should have taken Sewell. Yeah, I think the people that are wrong are just like, build in the trenches. That's the only way to go. Yes. It's what all good teams do. And it's like, well, they're they're good enough in the trenches. They don't necessarily build from there. I so need what's to your go... best case scenario? What's their over-under? I, I got to go find it. Hmm. Okay. Where are I you going to find it, Steve? Over at DraftKings.com. There you go. 
what's your best case scenario as I'm getting this thing? Well, the best case scenario is somehow that offensive line is possible, just good enough that the player, the playmakers they have an offense can actually get something done and their offense is pretty good. Um, if that happens, I think they're okay. Otherwise, yeah, not so much. Where the heck did it go? You lost the odds. This is not helpful. No, I can't. I can't find it right now. Huh. What's happened here? Okay. I got it. I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you as far as, you know, the line. I think the the free agents, uh, free agents in the secondary pan out. Can you find this? Well, give me a second. I've got a million other tabs open because I have to, you know, read ads and all that stuff. 6.5. Oh, man. I, I might lean over here. Hmm. Six and a half wins. No, under. You're going under? Yeah. So you don't have any faith in the line? Uh, certainly not within that division. Yeah. They're, they're, the other the place that they did invest in the line was second round and also late in the draft. So they've got some developmental players. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to watch. But um, best case scenario is Joe Burrow looks like a star. Looks like the number one overall pick. He's yeah. protected well enough. Him and Jamar, Jamar Chase pick up where they left off in college. And the D-line is a top five D-line. And it might protect the back seven a little bit. Linebacker's still a major issue for the Bengals. I'm going to lean over. I'm going to, you know, I'm in Cincinnati. I'm going to lean positive here for our hometown Bengals. Okay. Before we get into the rest of the AFC North slash Central, just got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax, free fantasy football league manager. That's what they have there. Free fantasy football league manager. It's the most customizable, easy to use, and feature rich platform in the entire industry. And PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They have multi team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage. And if you're coming from another site, that's not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. I was just upstairs watching Eric Eager. He's got like four Fantrax pages. He's not even working right now. It's just all Fantrax right now. Uh, sorting out his fantasy leagues. Create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. Plus $6,000. Wow, what a deal. Where would you want to go? It's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. Hold on. Go do it. Pittsburgh Steelers, they're the next one in my random order of the AFC North here. Yeah. Thank God for um, timestamps. Otherwise, everyone would stop listening to this podcast based off your order. Just don't worry about it. No, people don't want timestamps. They want to hear all of our analysis on every team anyway. They're not just looking for their team. But if they are, we have timestamps for you. Speaking of offensive lines... If we spent the entire offseason talking about the Bengals and how they're not protecting Joe Burrow and you got to protect the franchise and all that stuff, what's going to happen in Pittsburgh? Where on paper, I've got them at number 31 ahead of just <laughs> the New York Giants as far as offensive lines go. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, everything we've just been saying about how bad the Bengals offensive line is and how it could be completely prohibitive to them having any kind of success. Pittsburgh's might be worse. But now, okay, the good thing is they don't have to face their own defense. But based off of one Hall of Fame game where jet sweeps came out and, and deep, long play actions and the whole thing, will Matt Canada, new offensive coordinator, who is known for just trickeration and motion all over the place, will he be able to implement that system properly with Big Ben's, you know, approval to protect the offensive line a little bit? That's the one way that you can do it. Yeah. Misdirection, movement, play action. I mean, I think that Hall of Fame game, and there's, they're playing tonight, right? They're, they're, they're one of the teams on Thursday night. Play, yeah, I think they're playing Philadelphia <clears throat> live here tonight. So if we see the same thing again tonight, I think you have to be encouraged by what Matt Canada is doing on offense um, 
for the Steelers. Like this, all those things we talked about. Look, you know, people have said that motion for the sake of motion isn't, is, it's not just a good thing on its own, right? It needs to have a purpose. It needs to be doing something for your offense. Um, but motion teamed with bunch formations, teamed with play action, these are all ways that you can steal an edge on a defense and cause just a beat of hesitation and a beat of confusion and a split second that you need to get a guy open or to hold back a pass rush that's beating up your offensive line, all those kinds of things. And they're things that the Steelers just haven't done for years, um, reportedly because largely Ben Roethlisberger just doesn't like that stuff and prefers, you know, a nice clean picture for himself, which, you know, makes sense as a quarterback. You want to get the cleanest and most accurate picture you can but it also means that a defense doesn't have to worry about anything else and they can just go 100% full throttle, um, 100 miles an hour the whole way. If you implement all those things, it might make your life a little bit trickier as a quarterback. But if you're a Hall of Fame quarterback, frankly, it's something you should be able to overcome. And the flip side of that is it means the defense has to deal with all that and process all that and hesitate for a split second and potentially therefore open up some things for you, you to exploit. So so far in preseason and remember like it's preseason if you're breaking this stuff out in preseason which is supposed to be vanilla don't show anything type of game planning if you're breaking this stuff out now it probably means it's going to feature heavily for you in the regular season which i think is a very good thing for pittsburgh yeah absolutely i mean i think here's what their offense looked like last year right as much as as much as I feel like their offensive line is a question mark, they were 31st in run blocking last year. And the name value that they had last year with Ali Villanueva still there, the great Ali Villanueva. Marquise Pouncey was there. David DeCastro was there, right? I mean, they had the guys where if they brought that same group back on paper, we would probably rank them around 15th. We'd probably look at that unit and say, there's a good average offensive line. But they did regress last year, especially from a run blocking standpoint. So that offense became as dink and dunk as any offense in the league where it's just big ben short stuff like crazy and it was just very one-dimensional so so in theory the offensive line might not be it, it might not even be worse than last year but based off of history there's just not a track record of a core four playing well at left tackle zach banner has played well in very limited time he's the, projected to be the starting right tackle rookie kendrick green projected to start at center. Trey Turner had a 34 grade last year and uh, just continues. His grades have gotten worse since he came into the league 2014. So, and Kevin Dotson is battling for, he was their best, looked like maybe their best returner in his second year here. And what, Mike Tomlin's not loving his performance in training camp so far. So yeah. even if they protect them, you still have to convert third and eights every now and again. And that's where these, these guys could be exposed. And you go back to the division again. You got to beat the Ravens. You got to beat the Browns. The Bengals just revamped their defensive line, like we said. So the line will still be an issue, potentially, but you have to be able to they, – they might be doing some good things to protect them. Yeah, it looks like they are. And they do have the receiving core to make it work. Like those, That's a talented group of receivers. Um, Roethlisberger is at least making all the right noises in terms of, hey, I thought I was healthy last year, but uh, little did I know – you know, how much the the elbow surgery was still lingering and now I'm 100% healthy. Like, who knows? That might all be crap. But maybe maybe there is a chance that Roethlisberger is significantly healthier and therefore better this year, another year removed from that significant, um, you know, throwing arm injury, surgery. 
if those things all come together, you can do a lot to protect a bad offensive line. Um, and maybe they will. It will still be the thing that like puts a cap on how good this offense can be. I am holding to the point that Chase Claypool is the most important non-Big Ben player on this team. I, I think if if he is a star, which he showed signs of last year, he had some games, you know, three touchdown games and where games where he just won down the field and created after the catch. But if Claypool is a star, that will offset maybe a, a step back from an offensive line standpoint. Um, and, and it's not just because of him. It's because we do like that top trio, right? We love Deontay Johnson. He gets open as well as anybody. But 14 drops last year, that's one of those things that should get better with Deontay. But Claypool has a chance to be a you know, legitimate number one that defenses have to account for. That will open up Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Pat Fryermuth and Eric Ebron at tight end. They just drafted Fryermuth in the second round. I think he's a good, solid receiving tight end. So again, you'll hear us, all of our analysis is going to be like, where, who are the three, four, five playmakers that are going to elevate the quarterback? I think the Steelers have them, but if Claypool becomes the true number one, I think that is a potential game changer. And as much as we, we may have soured on the Steelers offseason, I feel like Claypool can cancel that out if he improves, if he's that much better this year. Maybe. What about uh, Najee Harris? What kind of impact can he have if the offensive line is as bad as it looks like it might be? Now, look, we're in this we're in this tough spot. Running backs matter now. We're we're in this tough spot at PFF here, where the uh, the nerds upstairs are, are are coming up with some some data that running backs might matter a little bit. Only a few of them. Uh, Which, by the way, it's only a few of them. If you're listening to the NFL Daily, that makes me right. Remember when we discussed, does Derrick Henry matter? Running backs don't matter, but does Derrick Henry? Henry? My answer was yes. Or maybe Dalvin Cook does. Or maybe Jamal Charles did. My answer was yes. You were right. Derrick Henry does matter. He's been incredible. So there are a certain number of running backs who do more consistently pick up yards above and beyond what is expected. Nick Chubb, one of them as well. If Najee is one of those guys, that'd be great. I don't know if he is. We'll see. Um, But again, I think... I think from a team building standpoint, it is very difficult to justify investment in the first round running back when you do have holes elsewhere. And we'll get to the defense because I'm, I'm more worried about the defensive secondary being fragile. There is protected. Let's get to the defense right now. This defense was outstanding in 2019, outstanding last year. Can they keep that going? I know the Steelers' history is thinking about the Steel Curtain and Blitzburg and defenses and all that stuff. They were not good defensively for a while. In the last two years, they've turned it around and been very, very good. Can they keep that going as fragile as defense is with Joe Hayden getting older at corner, Cameron Sutton, who's a good, solid player, play outside, play in the slot. But when you're evaluating cornerback depth charts, you're, you're looking at the top three or four. You're not just looking at two. So who's that third corner? Antoine Brooks Jr. currently maybe the guy. They've really liked James Pierre, had a pretty good little Hall of Fame game for whatever it's worth, big outside corner. Justin Lane is disappointed as a third-round pick. Who is that third guy? Because uh, they, they, they don't have Mike Hilton now, and they don't have Steven Nelson. I, that's my biggest question mark on the defensive side. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a concern. Uh, the good news for Pittsburgh is that they get so much pressure that they can paper over a lot of cracks in the secondary. It's You can't hide terrible defensive backs certainly not for long but you can certainly make their life easier and make it more difficult to exploit the fact that those guys can't cover for that long if you're just constantly burying the opposing offense under pressure and they brought back like all of those elite pass rushers so Stefan Tuitt, Cameron Hayward, TJ Watt they added Melvin Ingram which honestly could be an upgrade over Bud Dupree 
Um, Tyson Alualu is back. Uh, Alex Highsmith is is there and showed reasonably well in limited snaps last year when he had to step in for Bud Dupree. So that front could get a ton of pressure again. Like they led the league in pressure rate by a big distance. They were one of the highest pressure rates we've ever seen from a defense. They probably won't get to that level again just because it's a really high watermark to achieve. But if they're anywhere near that, it's the kind of level where your secondary doesn't need to be great. Agreed. Yeah, I think Mika Fitzpatrick's done a nice job at free safety. You mentioned all the... You know, the T.J. Watt stuff, T.J., you know, not to pick on Bud Dupree for the 9,000th time, but we've always said, you know, his production has been inflated a little bit because of the scheme, plus uh, T.J. Watt having Melvin Ingram, plus Alex Highsmith, who's got that killer spin move. Alex Highsmith has always had that nice spin move. He showed it off in the Hall of Fame game for a sack. I think they're going to be fine, even whether they're trying to win one-on-ones with those three edge rushers or adding them to the blitz package and everything right. that Pittsburgh And one of the do. reasons they blitz so much is so you can't double team any of right. those guys. You just don't have the bodies. Without keeping, you know, eight in to max protect, you can't pick them up. You can't double team them. You can't assign more than one guy to each one of these players. Somebody's going to have one-on-one opportunities. And that's part of the reason why not just Bud Dupree, but all of them, like they, all of their numbers are reliant on the fact that they're not the only guy there, right? Every one of those players up front has somebody else occupying blockers that they can't dedicate to double teaming Cameron Hayward or TJ Watt or Stefan Tuitt or Melvin Ingram now. Like the whole thing works as a unit, particularly when you fold in the amount of blitzes they send, like the amount of extra bodies they're committing to the rush. All right, let's talk best case scenario for the Steelers. Okay. I have a take. Go on. Much like last year's Packers, where their entire offseason felt negative. Last season, it was they drafted a quarterback who's not even going to replace Aaron Rodgers in three years. They drafted a running back in the second round, and they didn't improve. It turns out they did improve. I know they just they lost in the NFC Championship again, but Rodgers just got better. A, a star quarterback got better. Mm-hmm. Their best case scenario is Ben Roethlisberger plays better than he did last year. This is not out of the realm of possibility, right? It's how it's, much better though, because there's no way Roethlisberger. Rodgers Rogers put in a career year and was MVP. That's oh, yeah, not I'm within not, the realm of possibilities for Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not suggesting that. I think you can make a case that the Steelers won 12 games last year despite Big Ben, despite him. Yeah, he had some good throws and some good games and stuff. He had a 68 passing grade last year. 68. Yeah. In Quarterbacks a, with 68 passing grades, like Teddy Bridgewater was in that range. Right. I mean, it wasn't good. This Daniel was a Jones. Year, this was a year of inflated quarterback play because of all the explosion of offense. So 68 last year is worse than 68 in most years. It was inflated by yards after the catch and inflated in the records, and not inflated, but the record was triggered by the defense, right? I mean, that's a big part of it. So if Big Ben, the 68 passing grade is the lowest he's had in his entire career dating back to 2006 06 was the last time he was Worse in that than Andy Dalton. there you go so if big ben so again it's it's easy to just fall into narratives big ben's old therefore he'll remain old and always be bad right <laughs> or realistically you could say 68 is far below his career level if he just gets back to 75 which he was in 2018 his last full season when he threw for 5,000 yards, if he just gets back to there, where we were still saying he, was, he wasn't as good as the stats would show that year because he got away with a lot of stuff. If he's just back to 75, 76, 77, and you, know, you get the Claypool emerging. It's actually a fascinating group of quarterbacks between like 70 and 66 last year. Just- and, and, and just to highlight you know, for people here, 
the way you interpret this stuff is the passing grade is what the quarterback did. And if the stats are better than what he should have done, it's it's luck, it's supporting cast, it's good def- favorable defensive matchups, whatever it is. If, it, if the stats are below, it's the opposite. Bad luck, bad supporting cast, tough defenses that you face. And there's definitely also an element in which Roethlisberger con- uh, contributes to those stats by being intelligent and getting in the right plays and making the right adjustments and doing stuff that Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph weren't doing the year before. Yeah. Which is why part of the reason there's a big jump in record, even though the quarterback wasn't playing that much better on a throw-to-throw basis. But just listen to this group of quarterbacks around whom Roethlisberger's grade was last season. Uh, Taysom Hill, Andy Dalton, Mike Glennon, Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, Alex Smith, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater, Gardner Minshew. Like, that's the group he was in last season just in terms of overall PFF passing grade. That's a pretty rough place to be. Yeah, I mean, we just we made the point that even when they were 11-0, and they were, you know, Big Ben had some rough, rough games in there, some turnover luck, all that stuff, right? So if he gets better, which is not out of the realm of possibility, Chase Claypool becomes the star, I'm saying. Uh, they, they scheme it up a little bit offensively. And then the defense is another. They don't have to be a top three unit again, but they're good. I mean, that is a best case scenario, I think, for the Steelers. Your thoughts on that? Like, Are you that same boat? I mean, case? if Roethlisberger jumps up 10 grading points, that puts him in the Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, you know, Kylo Murray world which I think makes Pittsburgh a good team. Um, their defense should still be really good. If he's playing at that level, the offense is more than good enough for them to win a lot of games, and I think they are contending for the playoffs. They're in a really tough division. I don't know if they make it, but they're certainly, I would say they're chasing double-digit wins and the wild-card spot. Uh, Worst-case scenario? The offensive line is miserable. Roethlisberger doesn't get any better, and the Steelers' offense is prohibitively useless, and in today's world it doesn't matter how good your defense is if your offense sucks i, I really think there's an there, there are two extreme worlds roethlisberger turns back the clock or implodes it all falls apart and we're talking about the steelers fans are like watching oklahoma film where's spencer rattler we'll get spencer rattler in pittsburgh next See, year i don't think I, I think their defense is too good for them to be ever be in that conversation I know, I know. like just... that so the worst case scenario i don't think encompasses having one of the top couple of picks in the draft like they're too good for that and also Mike Tomlin is too good for that. By Agree way. with that. That guy's yes. had like 15 straight years of like 500 or better. They are not winning two games this year and shooting for the number one overall pick. It's just not happening. All right, we're going to talk about the Ravens. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at DraftKings. College football season just around the corner. To celebrate DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. That sounds... Easy enough. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable. Located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. Promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. What a professional. I was on a radio hit yesterday and they had the same read and they had a guy doing the... They weren't as good as me. It wasn't. It wasn't smooth. Though your read, I'm certain, has like at least one extra only than it should in there. It doesn't, there seems to be an extra word in there. I just read whatever's there. <laughs> I just read what's on the sheet. <laughs> the over under, by the way, for Pittsburgh at DraftKings, eight and a half. 
Uh, I'm going to lean over because I've been I've been as negative as we've been at, at their team building effort and as many questions as I have. I've got this inkling that Big Ben's better and that these some of the best case scenario stuff does happen. I'm going under, but I think they'll win eight games. They won eight with Duck is the thing yeah. that, I, that I can't wrap my head around. They, with Duck as the quarterback, Duck mm-hmm. and Rudolph, they won eight. Yes. But they had a better offensive line. Like, and they Their played, offensive line wasn't bad. They though. played horrible quarterbacks that year. Like, I get it. They were a better from an offensive line standpoint. But. Now you're dealing with a terrible offensive line and a division that suddenly has two contenders in it. Yeah, the the, the division does scare me a little bit for all these teams. So I as I say, I under, but only by half a game. Understood. I got you. All right, let's talk Ravens, man. Um, a, a lot to discuss here. The Ravens last year at this time coming off a 14-win season. The big question, can they ever win a playoff game? They did win a playoff game last year. Uh, still the question, though, their run-heavy attack, is that the thing that will propel them to the Super Bowl? Can they be more efficient in the pass game uh, when they need to be? Because if you're just talking pass game efficiency, again, in 2019, Lamar wins the MVP. They're as efficient as it gets from a pass game standpoint. Their run game was so good that it would have ranked seventh among pass games that year. That just doesn't happen. Um, but the Ravens are in a different world from a schematic standpoint because of what Lamar brings. Um, so can they get over that hump where they're a little bit more well-rounded? And my big question mark is, can they win the games where the game flow isn't there? We said there was no news. The only real bit of news actually relevant to the Ravens, um, Rashad Bateman, the guy supposed to kind of that answer a lot of those questions, yeah. tweaked his groin, I think, uh, running a slant against Marcus Peters, just pulled up, went down pretty bad uh this that's going to keep him out for a good few weeks possibly into the regular season but that's like that's a huge blow obviously when you're relying on any one player fixing something like that it's it's an important thing to have him there but particularly when he's a rookie like he really wanted that preseason and training camp in totality to be able to roll into the regular season confident that he can be your number one and answer those questions now that's back up in the air and you know can sammy watkins be that guy Uh, the whole thing is like that's the Raven season in a nutshell. Is can the combination of Bateman, Sammy Watkins, fix what ailed the passing attack? Yeah, and just to compare it to 2019 again, they lost Hayden Hurst, which doesn't sound huge on paper, but remember what they were doing. They had three legitimate tight ends with Mark Andrews, who's one of the better receiving tight ends in the NFL. Hayden Hurst is a good number two tight end, and Nick Boyle is one of the better run blocking tight ends and a and a reasonable receiver. They were just doing a good job of creating mismatches, right? So if you don't have those star receivers, you can rely on your tight ends and just just do things differently. Clearly, the Ravens, though, said, again, we, we need to have options. We want to have answers if the run game isn't as efficient or if they do take away the tight ends. So relying on Sammy Watkins or a Rashad Bateman, uh, which, again, takes pressure off Marquise Brown, who's a very good – I mean, if Marquise Brown is the number two or three threat on this offense and you move him around to the slot and outside and use his speed and everything, you could see the – the danger that they're creating for defenses. But yeah, I'm with you. So much depends on the receiver health and performance. And um, it's a big question mark still. Yeah, and critically, like I don't, we don't know that that's the problem. Like that, this is, this is an attempt uh, for Baltimore to A, solve the issue. And if they can't solve the issue, at least make a determination as to what the issue is, right? Right now, I don't think they or we know if the issues with that off- with the offensive passing game are because they don't have that number one 
uh, X receiver that can win all over the field in all levels of the field against all cornerbacks. Um, it doesn't look like Marquise Brown is that guy right now. But, but is I mean, can Rashad Bateman or Sammy Watkins essentially put that player in the offense? Does everything change in a heartbeat? Or is it something more um, f- fundamental and insidious to the whole thing? Have teams worked out this offense now? Remember, this is a kind of a new system crafted from nothing around Lamar Jackson and that run game and the fact that the quarterback can be this extra threat that teams need to account for. It's going to take some time to figure out how to deal with that. And now they've been doing it for long enough that if it was going to be figured out, now would be the time. So is this a case of defenses have just caught up and like the Sean McVay thing, this offense hasn't moved on. It hasn't developed. It hasn't added anything. So now... Like it wasn't, it wasn't an, a like an, uh, an irresistible force, right? There was an answer to how to defend this offense. It just took teams a while to figure out what it is, and now that they have, you need to develop it. Have if if that's the issue, then Bateman or Watkins or Mar- Marquise Brown, it's not going to make a difference. Ali Villanueva comes over oh, God. to play right tackle to replace Orlando Brown, struggling uh, by the way so far in training camp. Yeah, exactly. look, I mean, in pass protection, which is the thing that he's that's the thing he's generally good been good at, and that's the thing that the system should protect you with a little bit. And, and theoretically, I will say as much as I touted him this entire offseason. No, no, no. As a Don't scheme, you dare as walk a this fit, back. I liked him going to the Colts or the Chiefs as a fit. First off, they're moving him to right tackle. Hasn't yes. done that in five years. That is risky. Sure, it is a risky move to move a veteran from left to right. Just because it's a whole, it's just, it is different footwork and it does take time. There's risk involved there. And I will say, as a scheme fit, I didn't love the Ravens because Villanueva's run blocking has been far below his pass blocking and this is a run heavy attack. Mm-hmm. Now, I still think it was a good move to pretend to have a, to have a drop off from Orlando Brown to Villanueva, which I think they have a small drop off um, in, in exchange for that first round pick that they got for Orlando Brown and, and knowing that they couldn't pay him and all that stuff. I think the process is still sound. Um, but I do think the line, the interior wasn't great last year either. Kevin Zeitler comes in and, and should shore that up a little bit. Ronnie Stanley coming back healthy will be big. He was, he's was he been one of the better left tackles in the league over the last couple of years. So again, there's a lot to like about the Ravens. J.K. Dobbins, they drafted him in the second round. A, you know, Again, a forward-looking organization that said, we still want to be good at the running back position. And Dobbins and Gus Edwards do give them that ability to create above and beyond what what's given there. So there's a lot to like about this Ravens offense, but... Year four for these quarterbacks, year four for Lamar and for Baker and all that stuff. I think it's a big one. I think, you know, you've got you've got a, a an MVP caliber season for Lamar, and he regressed last year. He just did. It, so what is he? Is he somewhere in between? Can he get back to that MVP level? I think these are fair questions. And year four, I think, is very telling for a lot of these guys. But also, this is connected with the conversation we just had in terms of the offensive scheme and whether it is... You think they caught up? You think they caught well, so if, the league off balance in 2019? I mean, they definitely did, right? The question is, though, is that a permanent thing? Can you get back to that level because the things that you do on offense are essentially undefendable, right? Because Lamar Jackson is a singularly unique cheat code, right? The dude is like 2004 Michael Vick Madden, you know, where you could just run around all day and win games single-handedly because he was too good in the game. Yes. Or go back to like Bo Jackson and Tebco Bowl or whatever. Tebco like, Bowl, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, like, is he that level of freakish athlete or were, were 
the, was the offense that you built around him just so different from everybody else's offense that it took teams a while to figure out exactly how you need to defend that. And once you have, it's still good, but it's no longer like impossible to stop. Um, and if it is, if that's the case where the offense with the offense that you've built around him is just good, not great or good, not unstoppable, do you now need to relate that to how much money you're paying him, right? Like if the the idea that his ceiling is MVP and best offensive weapon in the NFL, that might not be the case if teams have now caught up and the offense has a lower ceiling than you thought it did or than it once did. Shout out to uh, our guy Beckett over here behind the scenes pushing some uh, tweets forward to get with a little bit more information on the Rashad Bateman injury. Um, I don't want to pronounce Jeff Zrebiak. Whatever. Doesn't you don't matter. Want to pronounce Jeff. Just, it, okay. I don't want to pronounce it. Jeff Z on Twitter. You already, uh, you just did. You can't. What's the point in doing it now? I, I, I prefaced it by saying I don't want to do it. So I don't want to pronounce it up. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want then, to do it anyway. Then go back to Jeff Z. Jeff Z on Twitter uh, says uh, John Harbaugh saying Rashad Bateman will, will have groin surgery. Be, he'll be back some point in September. And then PFF's own Mario talks about uh probably a sports hernia would be the the timeline there so we're talking sports hernia recovery from surgery is about six weeks and you know so that puts it in that late september yeah early he's october probably september. missing a month of the season plus yeah. the entirety of what's left of but preseason it is it, I, it you mentioned the point though reps for a rookie receiver are yeah. crucial and, and you have to wonder how much rashad bateman will it take him till november to actually be an impact player um, without that without that time. So it's a massive question there. Uh, going to the defensive side of the ball, again, the Ravens have done a really good job. I think schematically they, they, they're right up there with the Steelers as far as blitz rate goes. They have a, a very they've, they've had a very clear and defined strategy the last couple of years. Load up in the secondary and scheme up the pressure up front. Though this year they have, what a group of edge rushers they have stitched together. And from a team building effort, I, I, we like this strategy. I like this strategy. Tyus Bowser, they re-signed on the cheap. You know, he's been a good, solid all-around player for them. Pernell McPhee's back, veteran. They draft Odafe Owe in the first round, freak athlete, edge rusher from Penn State. They bring Justin Houston in via free agency, who's clearly taken a step back. But the those guys late in their career always intrigue me in 300, 400 snap samples if you just make them specialists. So they're going to stitch together this pass rush. And like most teams, their success will come down to their depth and their secondary. Yeah, I, I like the defense. I think the defense is still going to be an extremely good unit. We've talked before about how they, they build things in a pretty intelligent way. Um, I'm curious to see what kind of a step forward Patrick Queen can have in year two. He's, I think, very emblematic of what the linebacker position is right now, which is, you know, he was this fast, athletic, playmaking kind of linebacker and made a lot of plays in year one, but also got torched and beat up and physically overwhelmed and that's why overall his pff grade was like 29 now that doesn't mean that the people that love what he could do are crazy it just means that he needs to adapt essentially to what linebackers are stuck with in today's nfl and i think there is scope for those guys to get a lot better but there's also scope for him you know there's also scope for you need to improve that otherwise you end up like tremaine edmonds which is a, like a highlight real player but a guy who overall is getting exposed a lot yeah, Queen's got to do a much better job taking on blocks. Uh, 23 missed tackles, uh, including the playoffs. He had two, one in the playoffs, but 22 during the regular season is absurd. I oh, mean, wow. that is that is literally four years of Bobby Wagner's career <laughs> to get 22, right? I mean, that, that's 
an absurd number, including five against Pittsburgh in a game, many multiple missed tackle games. So um, a lot of room to improve for Patrick Queen. We mentioned the secondary, Marlon Humphrey, one of just the best young corners in today's NFL. And going back to my analysis on which teams ask the most ask the most of their corners, it's generally man-heavy type of teams. And uh, the Ravens are up there. So Humphrey not only has a lot in his plate from a, hey, go man up against the supposing receiver, but he's played in the slot, played outside. He had that you know peanut punch added to his game last yeah. year with nine forced fumbles. Uh, Humphrey and Marcus Peters, I, this is going to sound really generic, right? It's all about turnovers. Mm-hmm. But when you have like a lot of the Ravens season, the way Humphrey plays and the way Marcus Peters plays, kind of volatile players, you know, they, but they force turnovers. If they are turnover machines this year, that's also one of those things where if, if just the turnover luck goes your way, can really just elevate your team. And I, I think Peters and Humphrey are the two guys that could really turn the fortunes of the Ravens. Baltimore also has like their own version of, um, of uh, Jason Verrett. Tavon Young is potentially coming back after yeah. basically missing two straight seasons, like almost the entirety of the last two years in total. He's potentially like a genuinely high-level slot cornerback who they haven't had essentially for the last couple of years. If they suddenly get him healthy out of nowhere and he comes back and actually stays intact for the season, like adding him to Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey would just be such a huge, like yeah. I don't want to say unexpected bonus because I'm sure – at some point, they expected would, him to come back healthy, but like just a huge boost. I view it more as Tavon Young plus Jimmy Smith equal one number three corner because sure. Jimmy, Jimmy Smith is out there, you know, 400, 500 snaps per year. Too. He's just been, he just got hurt though. Did he? Uh, I don't know how long he's down for. Avoided serious injury after being carted off. Ah, what do you want? I mean, it's good that he avoided serious injury. Yes. I was not, that's He'll not my, what weeks. my reaction was, yeah. but uh, Jimmy's been banged up quite a bit, but always just a good solid outside corner. Um, don't forget Calais Campbell's you know, up front. Um, it does seem like the Ravens have tried to get a few more guys who can win one-on-ones. Does that mean they blitz a little bit less, change things up? But um, here's their big question defensively. We've talked about this a little bit. they got to figure out how to beat the, the Chiefs. They have to figure out how they can scheme it up to beat the Chiefs um, because, yeah, Mahomes and the Chiefs seem to just always have answers for this Ravens defense. Yeah, I mean, best-case scenario for the Ravens is that – their offense gets back to where it was where it was a couple of years ago where it was essentially the most unstoppable force in the nfl that okay bateman's going to miss a bit of time but the combination of bateman and sammy watkins is what was ailing this offense they just didn't have that number one receiver and when you add that guy in the offense goes back to being as unstoppable as it ever was and all as well over under for the ravens is 11. man that's rich doesn't that feel high it feels high only in terms of like over-unders. You think 11, 11 wins in a 17-game schedule. Oh, like, it's reasonable. Eh, it happens all right. the time. Yeah. But when you look at like team totals over-under, they're, they're always lower than you think they should be. And 11, it feels pretty rich, particularly when you just look at the rest of the teams in the division, right? Pittsburgh, 8.5. Um, we'll get to the Browns next, 9.5. The Ravens at 11 is rich. I might go under on this one. Oh, I'm going to go over, but I don't like it. Yeah. I, I like the Ravens. I think um, I think it's interesting to me. We'll talk about the Browns in a second here. The Ravens are, you know, much higher than the Browns. The Browns are at nine and a half. Yeah. To me, it's it's neck and neck up Agreed. there. Right? So um, I'm going to lean under on the Ravens here. Though I do think if I was, when we pick a division winner, it might be the Ravens for me. 
but I really I think yeah. it's, it's like the Chiefs, the for example, are twelve and a half. Yeah, that's, like that's as high as it's yeah. getting in terms of win totals. The Packers are ten and a half. Yeah, the so Bucks the are twelve. Are, the Bucks Ravens are the are Super Bowl high. champions who maybe got better, and they're yeah. twelve. So you're saying like that what Vegas is saying is that the Ravens are only one win worse essentially than the best team in the NFL. All right, I'll, I'll go under on the Ravens. Let's go Browns here. Talk about the year four question mark Baker Mayfield, excellent as a rookie, big step back as a sophomore, looked like it carried into his third year. And then boom, since week seven, number two graded quarterback. You know how we do it. You got to pull out pull out the bad weeks and you got a really good quarterback. So what is Baker Mayfield? That's my biggest question mark here. They're going yeah. to lock him up just before the season. They're going to make him play it out a little bit. I don't think there's any way they get that done before the season now with that Josh Allen contract. I agree. They're going to have to let him play. I feel like the Browns will view this as – we want as much information as possible before making our decision. And if we have to pay a few more million dollars yeah. for a guy that we have more faith in, they're gonna we're go, willing to do that. They, it, this seems like a contract that might go the Dak Prescott route, right? Which is we're gonna, we, want, <clears throat> we want as much time as humanly possible to figure out what Baker Mayfield actually is and how much we should pay for that. And if it ends up costing us a bit more money in the process, that's way better than having a Carson Wentz contract where like 12 months later we want to get the hell out of here and we're saddled with this giant albatross of a contract we can't get rid of. I, I was asked the question, because when I do my Mississippi radio hits, they always ask about Dak, Mississippi State guy and everything. They love Dak down there. And they, they gave me a lot of like Dak or Lamar, Dak. They asked me Dak or Baker. And I think that's a fair question. And I think it's a fair proxy for each other. I mean, yeah. Dak after four years had two really good seasons and two meh okay seasons and they were very heavily influenced by everything around them they were but it also got to this point in year four and i think it carried into last year for dak where it you just felt <coughs> like okay i given the current quarterback landscape i think he's in the top half of quarterbacks he's probably top 10 or top eight i think baker with a good season solidifies that and and you say okay three out of his four nfl seasons are good they're 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 workable we can win with this and plus three college seasons, for whatever it's worth, they they still matter a little bit, right? So it, I think this is just a huge year and it's, for Baker Mayfield. It's a lot like the Dak situation where you were, you were going into that season saying, this the, the price is not getting cheaper. Like, right. look at the situation that Dak is now in. This is the best situation of his career. Okay, he got hurt and that complicated things, but up until that point, it was playing out that way. Like him throwing to those incredible receivers with an offensive line that was doing well at the time, Dak was having a career year. Baker Mayfield is set up to go into the season and have a career year because the offensive line, I think we ranked number one in the NFL, right? The PFF offensive line rankings. Yep. The system is a proven quality system that A, functions, and B, helps elevate the play of quarterbacks. He's finally getting that group of receivers back and together and healthy for the first time. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Rashad Higgins, who he seems to have this weird connection with, regardless of what else happens. Anthony Schwartz, who they added as a speedster. Donovan Peoples-Jones um, showed some skills last nice year. Deep threat. As I mean, a deep threat and as a speedster. I like so that mix. There's a lot of players to throw to, and the defense just got a whole lot better. So Baker Mayfield, this time next year, should look a lot better than Baker Mayfield now. The question is, should that adjust what you think of him? One other factor here, our guy Tej over at PFF.com, uh, part of our R&D analytics team over here, 
he's doing some great work studying box count and he's doing some, you know, rushing yards work over expectation, things that have kind of been done, you know, replicating those and, and just getting some good data out of that. But one of the things he found was the ability to pass the ball against tight boxes as well. A lot of times we're like, Hey, if there's eight guys in the box, it's tougher to run the ball, but it's easier to pass the ball. And I think the other, if you're putting quarterbacks together to compare them, you've mentioned before is Baker Mayfield, just Kirk cousins. And let's throw Ryan Tannehill in there. Those are three guys who are in Shanahan tree type of offenses. I don't know if the exact tree is there for Tannehill, but it's play action, play action, run heavy offenses where they're going to see tight condensed boxes, bigger passing lanes, you know, a lot more people to move in the box with that, with play action passing. Um, so that is another thing that Kevin Stefanski's brought that is favorable for the quarterback. So again, how do you evaluate that? Do you say, well, Baker was put in a great situation, therefore he was great, but it's just another thing that shows the Browns as an offense have a lot of good answers for what defenses throw at them. One of the, like the different, the interesting difference between Baker Mayfield's contract negotiation and Josh Allen's is that at no point do the Bills appear to have been at all concerned about what happens if Josh Allen becomes Jared Goff slash Carson Wentz? Like what happens if 24 months time we're looking at this contract and we're like, oh man, we screwed this up. He's not the guy we thought he was. With Baker, I mean, I don't know this, but I would be quite surprised at this point if the Browns weren't at least considering that. Because that's, there's, what makes these quarterback contracts so complicated is these are all the things you're juggling, right? You're juggling wanting the security of getting a superstar locked up for as long as humanly possible because that's what you want versus the risk um, mitigation if you're wrong. So the earlier you get the deal done, the um, cheaper it becomes, but also the more, the less data you have to be sure that he's the guy. And then the longer you get it done, the better it is for your team to plan everything around this giant monster contract. But again, the more painful it is if you screw it up. So you have the Mahomes contract, you have the Josh Allen contract. Both those deals were done essentially with zero, uh, uh, like zero accord for what happens if he isn't the guy. Whereas with Baker, you're now probably trying to do this deal with one eye on the Josh on the the Jared Goff Carson Wentz end of the spectrum about like okay we want to reward Baker he's our quarterback but what happens if like that feels like it has to be part of this contract in a way it wasn't it maybe should have been but wasn't in the Josh Allen deal how much do you think the Browns again smart front office uh Andrew Berry there does a great job of meshing your traditional football and analytics whatever you want to call it right how much does the history of the Browns matter? How much just having <laughs> a starting court? It, Andrew Berry didn't live it or anything like that, but the, just for the fans. I mean, the fan base matters a little bit in this whole thing. It's like, oh, we had we haven't had a starter since you know the yeah. the '80s in Cleveland. How much does that matter? Where it's like, oh, you found a starter. He's top fifteen at least. He's not worse than the fifteenth best quarterback I mean, in the league. You would anyway lock him up. Yeah, you would be putting your head on a chopping block anyway if you were gutsy enough to say, you know what, we're not one hundred percent convinced that Baker Mayfield is elite, and therefore we think we can get ninety percent of Baker Mayfield a hell of a lot cheaper. So we're not going to give him the two hundred million dollar contract, and we're going to walk away and roll with a Marcus Mariota or whatever it is. Right, go with an alternative. You would already be putting your head in a chopping block by making that call, and it would be yeah. incredibly brave. In Cleveland, it would be even more so because you're like, hey, you know that jersey with the, the 8 million names going down to the floor? 
Baker stopped it, and yet we are voluntarily jumping back on that train because we believe the situation has changed and there's no longer a risk of creating another one of those jerseys. I want to highlight the offensive line quickly, just highlight how, how good of a job the Browns did in building this thing. Um, they had Joel Batonio and uh, J.C. Treader there for a while, two of the better positions at their posi- uh, players at their positions, left guard, center. Uh, they, the tackles, don't forget, in 2019 were horrible. Greg Robinson was out there. They had uh, Hubbard, was it, that was out there a bunch. I mean, Baker was, I don't know, peeking, peeking at the edge rushers quite a bit. They, they signed Jack Conklin at right tackle for a ton of money, has a career-high 84 grade. They draft Jedrick Wills in the first round to play left tackle. He had some some ups and downs as a rookie, but I think he'll he'll be a good player. And then right guard Wyatt Teller becomes the best run-blocking guard by our numbers last year in the NFL. Um, breaks out in year three, four, whatever that was in his career. Common, A common thing around the NFL, a worthwhile risk, a guy that was really good in college and, and just you know came into his own last year. And that all added up to being the best offensive line in the NFL. Bill Callahan, great offensive line coach. He's got a history of pulling it all together. So there's a lot of things to like about the Browns. And then you talk about the running backs. They did just sign Nick Chubb. They did mm-hmm. give a second contract. We talked about that in the PFF NFL Daily. But with Chubb and with Kareem Hunt, again, I think offenses need options to win games. And there will be games where the Browns' rushing attack wins games for them or is the, is a big catalyst in winning games. And Nick Chubb is as good as it gets as a pure runner in the NFL. I think that offense will be incredibly good. And I think Baker Mayfield will have a career year because of it. Um, the interesting thing in, t- in terms of determining how good the Browns can be is how much better did they get on defense? Because they overhauled a big portion of that defense. But now you're relying on a bunch of players coming in and hitting the ground running at the same time, which is just tough to do. So... Uh, the fact that they added Troy Hill, Greg Newsom, John Johnson to that secondary and getting a guy like Greedy Williams back and all those new players, does that have the kind of transformative effect that they wanted to have? Or is that going to take some time to work out? Or is their strike rate high enough with the group that they added that it even did what it was supposed to? The strategy is sound. Again, yeah. the, there's so much, there was so many injuries in the secondary last year. But when, if Denzel Ward is healthy, I just love the fact that they drafted Greg Newsom, a corner out of Northwestern in the first round. Good long corner, can play it, can play man, can play zone. Troy Hill, who you mentioned. But when you look at the depth chart, Greedy Williams, we still don't really know what he is. He was a second round pick a couple years ago, first round caliber talent. He's got 863 snaps in his career, fifty, uh, and that was 2019, had a 59 overall grade. So not relying on him is smart, but having him as a backup is great because he still could be a pretty good player. And the same thing with Grant Delpit, last year's second round pick, didn't see the field at safety, playmaker out of LSU, but now he gets to kind of you know ease his way in. And if he's a stud, maybe you know he pushes a Ronnie Harrison for playing time or pushes Ronnie Harrison with his 6'3 frame into the box. And there's just so much flexibility, I think with the Browns. And if if you hear Andrew Berry and some of his press conferences and everything, they did focus on versatility. They draft Jeremiah Wusokoromoa in the second round, a guy that's just the you'll play in the slot. He's a slot slash linebacker at Notre Dame, that that overhang role in college. So uh, I can't wait to watch this this secondary all the back seven really all come together. Yeah. Um but that's I think it's going to be the thing that determines how good the Browns are because the defensive front I think should be pretty good. Miles Garrett it, if we haven't seen like a full season of Miles Garrett dominating yet. We've seen half seasons in each of the last couple of years. 
the first one, obviously, the Mason Rudolph helmet thing. He got himself suspended for the second half of the year. And then last year, caught COVID, wasn't quite the same guy down the stretch. We haven't seen this full totality of a season of Miles Garrett just being like the best defensive player in the NFL or one of the best. Which he's certainly capable of. Absolutely. And, and has been in, in like half the years in each of the last two seasons. Jadevian Clowney, this is his latest installment of betting on himself to try and get that monster contract that he wants at some point. Um, certainly having Miles Garrett opposite him won't hurt. You know, that's, that's definitely got to be a, a good thing. Malik Jackson coming in, I think is a, a big part. Slowed down last year, but should still definitely be a significant impact player for them. And they've got some depth along that defensive line as well. Like they've rolled the dice on a lot of players. I think that defensive front will be good. Uwusu Koromoa is an interesting X factor at sort of linebacker and then how that secondary gels. Uh, for perspective, Miles Garrett, PFF grades over with, uh, if you got your PFF Elite subscription, go to Premium Stats, 80 grade as a rookie, then 86, 86, 86 in that 86 point something range over the last three years. He did grade over 90 as a pass rusher each of the last two years though so if you're looking for a guy it's weird to say miles garrett's going to break out but if you're talking like a real breakout season one of those 18 sack ridiculous looking seasons i think miles garrett has been on the cusp for yeah. a while to your point right it's not like a breakout but it's like what happens if you get defensive player of the year miles garrett for the whole season as right. opposed to just a portion of it which is what you've had the last couple of years and just to sum up Clowney, really quick he was always been a good, not great pass rusher. He's not now at that. It was a point where his sack totals were probably too high. Now they're too low. He's not a three sack guy. He's not a no sack guy like he showed the last couple of years. If he stumbles into eight this year, I wouldn't be surprised. So I think Clowney will be a good, solid addition over there. So nine and a half over under for the Browns. You're, going, you're going over. I can Look, tell. If the Browns, If the Browns weren't the Browns, we would be talking about this team as one of the top Super Bowl contenders in the NFL. Just because the roster is that good. The roster is so good. Okay, there's a question mark about how well that secondary will gel in year one, which isn't there for a team like Tampa Bay, right? So there, I think there is a gap between the Bucks and the Browns in addition to the fact that, you know, one has Tom Brady and the other one has Baker Mayfield, a quarterback. But there's not a big gap. Like there's a – the gap between Tampa Bay and Cleveland is closer than the gap between Cleveland and, you know – the Chargers, who were people's like dark horse for Super Bowls or whatever. Like the Browns, I think, should be seen as a, as a real threat to anybody trying to win a Super Bowl. I want to look uh, defensive coordinator Joe Woods. I think there's a lot on him to make all of those pieces that we talked about to make them all fit. All the defensive line depth that they've built, the secondary depth that they that they've built, tapping into all those skill sets and and making them work. Um, but I think from a team building standpoint, I think the front office has done a really good job of putting the pieces in place to your point. So it comes down to the coaching staff, you know, fitting that puzzle. Uh, I'm with you over, over on the Browns. I yeah. like it. Good division, but I like the Browns here, man. All right, let's go NFC North. We're starting with the Green Bay Packers. We're going to go Packers, Bears, Vikings, Lions. Of course we are. Obviously. Green Bay Packers, after all of that drama, Aaron Rodgers is back. Still have Devontae Adams. A NFC champion championship uh, participants over the last. Did they put banners up for those last couple? Uh, I doubt it. NFC championship title town. It's not. It's not. There's no title. It's there. not participant town. I mean NF NFC North title. I guess maybe they put a banner for that. They must have. They have some central grounds <sighs> as well through the through the years. Yeah, yeah. What do we make? I, I I said we have to promise not to just say Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams are going to regress. That's not the story of the Packers, right? It can't be the only thing. Sure. Uh, 
my concern with the Packers, my big question is, can, do, can they have can they have more help for Rodgers and Devontae Adams, right? <laughs> this is different. This isn't a regression thing. It's... Can they get... <laughs> They they got good production out of their complimentary receivers last year, but how much of that was just Rodgers was playing out of his mind, elevating Alan Lazard? You know, if you guys listen to our in-season podcast, how much I every time Marquez Valdez Scantling makes a great play, it's like, all right, that was worth it. We'll we'll suck it up. Those all the drops that he had, it's okay because there's a 50, 60 yarder in there every now and again. So I think the playmakers are okay when Rodgers is playing at that high level. But I think there are some question marks on the offensive line now. It's not as clean cut as it's been in the last couple of years. Can they? Will there be enough support offensively and defensively for the superstars on this team? Is my big question. Yeah, I'm not worried about the offense. My concern is: is the defense good enough to stop the best teams in the NFL? Because with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams back in the fold, they're going to the playoffs again. At which point, now you've got to focus on those teams. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the, the those are the teams that you need to start thinking about. All right, how do we how do we beat them and get a to the NFC Championship game, and then b that final step to the Super Bowl? Um, and you know, even once you get into the Super Bowl, are you facing the Chiefs? Like, how the hell do we slow them down? So <clears throat> now you've got to start focusing on that. And like, it, like, is there enough talent on this defense to do that? Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos played fantastically last year. I think they have a lot of linemen slash pass, pass rushers that can be impact players. Kenny Clark being 100% healthy would be huge for them. Zadaria Smith has been very good, led the league in pressures, not last year, but the year before that. Um, Rashawn Gary is potentially a breakout candidate this year and could really help if he can if he can be the guy that Preston Smith was supposed to be, you know, the, the compliment to Zadarius and be sort of two elite pass rushers. Preston Smith has been a bit of a disappointment in Green Bay. But if those guys all come together, that's a pretty good defensive front slash line. The secondary still has major questions in terms of, you know, you need to not be Kevin King again when you get to the, the big games. And also, there's like no linebackers. I mean, this is not, they're not a unique case in terms of a team that just has a giant gaping hole at the middle level of the defense with no linebackers to speak of. But the Packers are like one of the scariest uh, examples of that. I think it's another one of those teams, though, that has made made that a team building decision, right? I mean, they Chris Barnes was an undrafted rookie that they trotted out there. But last at some year. point, it's bad enough that it is a problem. Like, I kind of agree with the idea that you shouldn't dedicate massive resources to it, but it still needs to be of a certain level. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the point I think from a from a team building standpoint is there are position groups. That you're more inclined that you you need them to be strong. If you want to win games, you want them to be strong, and then every other position group, you just don't want them to be a weakness. Yes, there's almost no there's almost no or no position in the NFL where you actually actively want or it's not a problem to have a legitimate replacement level player. You know? Yeah. So a linebacker might be amongst the positions where you want to dedicate the least amount of resources. But if your linebackers you don't be horrendous, right? If your linebackers are literally like guys, I could go out on the waiver wire any day of the week and get two guys that are the same. You have a problem. Yeah. So I think look the linebackers. So Chris Barnes he had a forty-three grade last year as a rookie. Um, I think it's all about perspective, right? You have an undrafted rookie being trotted out there. It's kind of like a good story that he's starting, but in the scope of NFL linebacker play, it wasn't great. Devondre Campbell comes in to compete there. Ty Summers, Kamal Martin has shown some things. But yeah, it's not a strength 
on this team. Your guy, Oren Burks. <laughs> Oren Burks. <laughs> With his 28 grade. <laughs> listen, listen. My Oren Burks story. Oh, the God. first game we ever graded for PFF College. Uh-huh. I think I was. it was Vanderbilt Temple. I think P.J. Walker yeah. was the quarterback back then. Yeah. So sometimes, so we started grading in 2014. Sometimes you have a soft spot for, you know, the first thing you saw. Mm. <laughs> it's like your first love. So the first guy that caught my eye in a PFF college game back in 2014 was er- Oren Burks for yeah. Vanderbilt playing free safety. And then his Vanderbilt career, he became like a traditional linebacker at one point. He became an edge rusher at one point. I'm like, oh, I love this. This versatility and all that stuff. Tested really well and all. It just never graded well that was probably the same season the that i got attached to matt ionitis that worked out better for me than than your it's Warren easier to get attached to defensive linemen oh i see yeah I see. so you picked the right position group to uh to get attached to i, I would have seen him that game too right right yeah you didn't you you instead you got i should switch right your eye got caught by oren burks anyway is 28 grade oren burks is uh he has never graded above 45 in his three years <laughs> with the packers but he's on the linebacker depth chart as well. Yeah. The biggest question mark, though, of course, is the Kevin King position. They bring him back to play right to play cornerback, but they also drafted Eric Stokes in the first round. As great as Jair was, uh, it's about that. What? Well, you're not gonna. Jair Alexander is awesome. He's a great cornerback. He's on one side of the field. The question mark is what's going to happen on the other side okay, of the field. Okay. I thought you were just going to walk into the re- the regression thing again. No, no, that's no. Just, that's, that's all. No, I. I set the bear traps, and I, I know where they are <laughs> this time. You're way too mal-coordinated to avoid your own bear traps if left to your own devices. Yeah, you just walking through the office have torn your polo shirt. I know. Yeah. It's very sad. I'm if, just saying, just because you know where the bear traps are, don't mean we get, you won't accidentally stumble your big-ass feet into the big hole in my shirt because it got caught on the wall. Can we get the Under Armour sponsorship through here so I can get a replacement shirt? Can yeah. we get – Connor, you upstairs listening. Can we get that Under Armour sponsorship sometime, <clears throat> please? I need new I need new Under Armour shirts. Yeah. What is going to happen at cornerback? Kevin King was a free agent. He got destroyed. The last time we saw him was the NFC Championship. He gets wrecked by Mike Evans for a touchdown yeah, and then everybody. Scotty Miller yeah, didn't go for well a touchdown. For He's never graded above 62 in his four-year career. Significant playing time. And Kevin King was an intriguing prospect. He's 6'3 with a ridiculous three cone. He's got all the skills. He just never. And at times hasn't played terribly. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yes, an NFL player is going to have times where he plays well. The problem is there's nothing, there's no skill sets that Kevin King can hang his hat on that he's really good at. Sometimes you have, oh, he's a zone corner play, playing in a man scheme or whatever it is. He's not great one on one. He doesn't have great zone instincts. And they're, t- they're, they're bringing in the Fangio Staley scheme potentially here, right? I don't think that's a good fit for Kevin King and his skill set. It's not. But equally, it doesn't feel like a great fit for Eric Stokes. True. Who was the guy brought in the first round to replace him. That, to me, is the really intriguing thing. It's like, okay, first round cornerback, 100% on board. Kevin King was a disaster. You absolutely need to replace him as your other starting cornerback, particularly when the number one guy is amazing. Because soon you're going to get this Namdi Asamoah situation where it's like, why would you ever throw the ball at Jair Alexander when on the other side is Kevin King. Like, that guy should get all of the targets. So, absolutely, bring in a guy. But you bring in a guy who doesn't seem tremendously well-suited for this defensive scheme, which is, I mean, it's just a curious move. What are you expecting from the Packers? What are you expecting from Aaron Rodgers this year? Well, they can't go 13-3 and again because there's an extra game in there. 
You don't think they'll go thirteen and three? I don't. No. You don't think fact, they'll have reasonably a, certain they won't. You don't think they'll have a game canceled and they'll go thirteen and three? Well, even if they do, they forfeit the game, right? Somebody would, yeah. Yeah. So they would get it wouldn't be thirteen and three. There's no way. The only way they can go thirteen and three is if they go thirteen three and one. I want to paint the Aaron Rodgers picture here for you. Okay. The um the analytics community echo chamber was absolutely trashing him for years because they were just looking at EPA and on-field production, which I and I, had slipped a lot. And, and that stuff did go, it did go down. And I believe that is a more team-driven stat. I think the PFF grade always was a little bit higher for right. Roger, but had slipped a lot. But had slipped. And here's what: 2017, 79, 2018, 89. Right, eighteen was probably the year where he, he had the twenty-five to two touchdown interception ratio, whatever. But like that was a relative bounce back for him because that then was, the next year was eighty-four. Yes, in both of those years, he played he played pretty good football. But even like the production was down. Yeah. Last year he's up at a ninety-five grade, ninety-four point seven passing grade, and and that was that was right up there. That looked like his two thousand eleven, his two thousand fourteen, that stretch in two thousand sixteen. Yeah. So when you look at the totality of Aaron Rodgers' career, I just named four periods of time where Aaron Rodgers, it was like everything was great. Everything about him was great. Everything he did was great. He is the special player of big-time throws and never putting the ball in harm's way. But it's really like four stretches of play. And outside of that, it's not like he's been bad. He's been very, very, very good. But I do think a lot of the Packers' season will depend here on is it the elite? Is it a fifth period of time where Aaron Rodgers is in a different well, world, he, or is he just a top three or four quarterback? Not in the which pinnacle? case, the most obvious question we need to answer is: Last season, Rodgers was pissed off. They just drafted his replacement. It was the start of the bad blood between yeah. them all. It was the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour. He was going out there to prove that he was still Aaron Rodgers, and you guys have wasted this draft pick bringing in a guy who's never going to replace me. And off he goes, MVP Aaron Rodgers, highest PFF grade of his career, puts the Packers back in the NFC Championship game. Now, on what's, how pissed off is he going into the season? They, you know, the off-season drama of will he, won't he come back, will he go host Jeopardy, whatever. He then reports a training camp and he's all smiles and happy and they bring in Randall Cobb because that's the thing that's going to make him pleased. I but, forgot to mention Randall Cobb's here. Yeah, yeah. But they haven't actually done anything in terms of like addressing his concerns. You know what I mean? Like they haven't all the stuff that he wanted, right? I want to be involved in these discussions. I want to be, um, I want to be recruiting. Blah blah blah. All these things that he wanted to be part of, he isn't. The only thing they've done has been like, well, he wanted Randall Cobb. Let's get Randall Cobb and shut him up. So how pissed off is Aaron Rodgers going into the season? I think he's pissed off enough. I, guess, I really think this stuff – I do think this stuff matters. I've said this before. It 100% matters for, for like, deranged lunatics like Rodgers and Tom Brady that's and right. the elite, Michael Jordan. The elite guys, yeah. I think it does matter. And I think the – it is so overblown when announcers just say, this guy's got a chip on his shoulder. It's like, all right, everybody's got chips on their shoulder, right? But only certain athletes can do so can, – can eat the chip, so to speak. Can eat the chip? doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense doesn't whatsoever. What are you doing? Only some people can actually use the chip that's on their shoulder. I thought you were going to say metaphors because... Oh, no, yeah. I'm not even... Only some people can do it. And um, I think Rodgers is... He wants to win a championship for himself, even if it's not for Green Bay and the people that have, that have you know aggravated him. And he wants to be coveted in the offseason. 
I, I think he wants to he wants to be in the middle of that trade drama. Is it the Broncos? Is it the Raiders? You know, is it the Eagles? Like, who's going to get Aaron Rodgers? I think he wants to be a part of that, and he wants to have a big season to make that happen. My so let me go back to the offensive line really quickly though. Billy Turner is is their starting right tackle potentially. Billy Turner's turned into like a decent guard. Never really had an extended period of time where he's played well at right tackle. Lucas Patrick, okay, at right guard. They drafted Josh Myers, never graded above 73 in in college. He was a second-round pick out of Ohio State. Big guy. They talked about they just wanted size up front, but they got a guy that hasn't really played all that well. Ellington Jenkins is really good. David Bakhtiari is probably the best left tackle in the NFL. So that's two good players, and I would say three legitimate question marks on that offensive line. They have not trotted out an offensive line like that in a few years with that many questions underrated smart move was signing dennis kelly who's been the sort of emergency right tackle for a couple of years in tennessee like when things go south you bring in dennis kelly and you're like oh that's going to be a problem and it actually hasn't been so yeah and, and he's not great but if kelly ends up playing right tackle and you kicked billy turner into guard it might actually bring a little bit right. more security. That's what I'm there. saying. So, like, if Billy Turner is a disaster at right tackle, I think you have a very good contingency plan in Dennis Kelly, which would have been easy not to do. Like, that was yeah. a smart signing to bring him in and give you that capability. The other thing I'll say is Devontae Adams was uncoverable last year. Mm-hmm. Are they too fragile if he gets hurt or, or something happens? And he has missed time. He's He's been banged up at times. So, Alan Lazard has this great connection with Rodgers. He was fantastic. Also Amar- been banged up a lot. And he's been banged up a lot. They bring back Randall Cobb, who's getting older, but still only, what, 30 years? He's only 30 years old. Feels like he's been in the league like 10 years. What does he have left? He's still, he's still a reasonable slot receiver. And then they drafted Amari Rodgers, who has a Randall Cobb type of skill set in the slot. So, they might have enough weapons there. Yeah. Um, and then Valdez Scantling, who's going to be good for some, you know, deep passes and drops. As I said, I'm not concerned about the offense. I think that will be very good. All comes down to the defense. Yeah, ten and a half over under, Packers over. I'll also like an go extra over. game to do it. Over twelve wins, sure. I'm going over. Aaron Rodgers is going to regress. I'm not doing it. I'm not falling into the bear trap. I have more uh, nimble dexterity than you do. You have three more teams here, Sam. Chicago Bears. We're we're moving smooth. Swiftly here. Chicago Bears. I don't think we are. How excited are they with Justin Fields here? What are we getting with Justin Fields? Well, we're getting Andy Dalton. That's what we're getting. For now. Andy Dalton, by the way, is doing sterling work trying to harness all of the ginger talent because he's grown a beard. Have you seen it? It's glorious. That's right. Yeah. So he's... Now, we need to figure out the timing he of... He has. Now, listen to this. amazing ginger beard. His ginger beard is growing, and all of a sudden, Carson Wentz <laughs> gets hurt. <laughs> I'm just saying, somebody who came up. Where where's my listener? Our listener like that came great, up. There's with a big the chunk of theory. people have no earthly idea what the hell we're talking about right so now. So the ginger theory was a fun one a couple years ago. One of our listeners came up with and said, "There's only so much ginger red hair talent in the NFL." Yeah. At any given time, and if you go back through history, it's always been harnessed by one person. Right. You, you so you so to you, the exclusion. It's usually of the harnessed others. by one person, but sometimes you could spread it out and all this stuff. So there was one year where like Carson Palmer was the best quarterback in the NFL. One year. Andy Dalton was the best out of all the ginger talent and all that stuff. It was just a – but then you started to see, like, when one guy would do well, the other two would get hurt. Right. Or just be terrible. Or be terrible. So the theory now that Andy Dalton has increased the ginger coverage with a beard and then Carson Wentz, a fellow ginger, gets hurt, uh, there might be some truth to this. And it is a glorious beard. I mean, look. Did we put Darnold in the ginger? He's not there, right? I think he category? was. 
He's always been on the bad side, so it always worked. He's never stolen any ginger talent. Right, no, never had any of it. Um, I Like, you know, growing a beard can go a couple of different ways. Like, there's some bad beards out there, and there's some people that really persist in a terrible beard. Like, Amari Cooper, have you seen his beard? Is that a ginger beard? Yeah, I mean, it's... There's red in my beard. I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's ginger. Did um, Wentz get hurt after you... Uh... After I cut it? I don't know. Yeah, maybe you did. I maybe I influenced the ginger, the ginger talent. I just un, unbeknownst to me. Um, but have you like have you seen Amari Cooper's beard? No, I haven't been keeping tabs on the camp beards. This that year. thing's pretty rough. Like that's that's Apache. There's weak coverage. It's not. It, it doesn't look good. It's not a good. Not a good look. But yet he like that dude persists in it. Like he's he's not getting rid. Whereas Andy Dalton's phenomenal coverage. There's some flow to it. There's some wave to it. It catches the light. You know. That man is doing everything in his power to harness all of the ginger talent to stave off Justin Fields, keep him on the bench. I think it's hilarious. And he needs to because, you know, it's not going to be long before he gets pulled <sighs> off the, the field and Here's, the backup thrown in. We went on about this at one point in the offseason. I don't think Andy Dalton really matters in this equation. I, I think I he think, 100% matters. I think he's the placeholder. Yeah, but that's he's going to determine... The, the length of time that Justin Fields is sitting on the bench is 100% Andy Dalton-driven. No. Yes. It's Justin Fields-driven. It's not. It's not even slightly Justin, Justin Fields-driven. Fields driven. They have determined that Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback going no. into week one, which they, will be the case no. as long as Andy Dalton plays well. What they have determined is that they, they don't want Justin Fields starting immediately. They, they took – there's two schools of thought. Your guy either starts or he sits. They've gone with, we want our first-round quarterback to, to sit. sit. Right. And he will sit but that until is the starter forces him to do something amount different. of time, he's going to sit. And that, that time will be determined not by how well Andy Dalton plays, because you know what Andy Dalton is. And if he's playing great, he's going to regress. If he's playing poorly, he'll get better. You know what Andy Dalton is. Yeah, but they, 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 they have made those decisions. They have made this decision based off of Justin Fields and his development. And as soon as they feel he's ready, whether it's week two or week 18, Justin Fields is playing football. Their blueprint for this is Patrick Mahomes. They want to go but the they, Patrick Mahomes route of he will sit for the entirety of his rookie year, mm -mm. and we have a starter who's capable of doing You didn't that. listen to the Chris Collins podcast with Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy was the coordinator then. Yes. He said, yes, there is an element to the Mahomes blueprint, uh -huh. but it doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be 16 games like Mahomes sat, or 16 weeks, and then he played the right, last week. Right, because it he knows full mean, well that Mahomes or that Andy Dalton is not going to have an Alex Smith season that keeps him on the bench for 16 games. It's not an exact blueprint. The only thing that's the same is he's going to sit. When Justin Fields is ready to play football, he's playing football. Now, here's the intriguing thing. There's a case to be made that Matt Nagy has done a fantastic job of coaching football over the last few years. As difficult as it's been maybe to be a Bears fan, they were great in 2018, and they've snuck into the playoffs last year and all this stuff, despite having bottom five quarterback play in the NFL with Mitchell Trubisky. So if Justin Fields didn't even show up, and we didn't have, and we were poo-pooing all of the Bears' moves and all that stuff, you could look at this objectively and say they're about to get the best quarterback play they've had in years with Matt Nagy, who's done a pretty good job overall and a solid defense and a, you know whatever. Maybe Andy Dalton was going to give them their best opportunity to win in a while. Now, I do think the rest of the roster has gotten a little bit worse. So I don't know how great the Bears are going to be, but I'm just in disagreement with you that Andy Dalton's play is going to determine Justin Fields' future. I think it's all about when they think Fields is ready. 
You're telling me that Patrick Mahomes wasn't ready before week 17 that year? When they felt he was ready. You're telling me they didn't feel he was ready until week 17 that season. And by the way, it wasn't even then because they put him back on the bench for the playoffs. You're telling me they didn't think that Patrick Mahomes was ready to play until the following season. Yeah. I would say that you're a liar. You don't believe that, and it's not true. <laughs> like, I mean, Alex Smith was leading the league in passer rating. I mean, exactly. Was, so the Alex starter— Smith was playing really well. The starter is what determined when that backup came in. Everybody has—everybody that thinks, right, we're going to sit this quarterback, and we're only going to play him when he's ready to see the field. Never in the history of the NFL has that actually been the case. It has always been determined by whether the starter is playing well or badly enough to be on the field. Andy Dalton will start the season, and if he has two crappy games in a row, he will be sitting on the bench for week three, and Justin Fields will be on the field. On the other hand, if Andy Dalton starts the season on fire, plays like Alex Smith in that 2017 season, Andy Dalton will be the starter for most of the year. And it won't be until he wobbles that they will pull Justin Fields off the bench and throw him out there. Well, I strongly disagree with this strategy. You do what's best for your first-round quarterback. What do we expect from Fields? I mean, he's the most, I think he's the most intriguing first-round quarterback. Yes. To figure out what he is. Uh, I don't want to rehash all of the stuff. The NFL passed on him and he's all He's also intriguing because there's, there's this evangelical element now to Justin Fields' stands, to the people that think that Justin Fields is like the best quarterback we've ever seen. Like it's starting to get a little bit out of control. Of course. In terms of like... This he, is a shocking turn of events in social right. media it's, world. It's ridiculous that he slipped in the draft and all these teams that passed on him are morons and like, how could you do this because Justin Fields is a slam dunk prospect and blah, 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 right? It's it's starting to get a little bit crazy. I like Justin Fields and I think the things he does well are incredible and there's a lot of selling points to his game, but there are there were concerning elements. Like the, the negatives to his game are not... Okay, some of the negatives to his game are not fabricated. Some of them were in the pre-draft process. But I think... Like, when you watch the tape, like, I, I came, you know, I come to the college tape after everybody else, right? I'm not, like, watching it religiously during the course of the season. We're too busy doing this. I sat down, watched some Justin Fields tape, you know, way back at the start of this whole process. And, like, after one or two games, you were like, oh, this is a weird evaluation. Like, this is going to cause some problems. Like, the stuff that's good is amazing, but it's going to take some time to weed out or to get to navigate the other stuff. I, I mentioned before around draft time, there is uh, if you're trying to put quarter, if you're trying to make comparisons for quarterbacks and you want to throw them into this you know continuum of where they could land, Justin Fields with his, if you describe his skill set of very good thrower of the football, very accurate thrower of the football, holds the ball too long, takes too many sacks, can can create yards on the ground with his legs, right? Those are the the attributes, the traits or whatever that can describe anywhere from Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Then you go further, it's it's Ryan Tannehill. And then you go further down and it's like Tyrod Taylor. So Josh Allen's in there somewhere, but Allen's kind of his special case drawn out way, right? Um, I really think the Ryan Tannehill landing spot early in Fields career career is a fair one. And let's just describe what that is. Ryan Tannehill, for the majority of his career, was an average to above average quarterback. He was a good NFL quarterback, middle tier quarterback. And now he's he has taken a big step forward and has been fantastic over these last couple of years. I see Fields probably being better than that, but I think he's I think he's probably closer to Tannehill than he is Russell Wilson. If we're just being like if you're just projecting them forward, right? 
Yeah. But that would be a really good – that could be a really good quarterback for But the, the Russell – like a lot of people come to this Russell Wilson comp with him. Jimmy Graham just just did it. I saw that, reminds yeah. me of Russell Wilson. I actually I, – I, it's apt. It makes sense. Stylistically, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of – There's a lot of Russell there. Wilson in him, like a jumbo – size version of russell wilson and stylistically i think it fits as well i don't think he's the natural outside the pocket playmaker no that's true. Like, i don't think he embraces that right style and which it isn't makes going wilson to be a perfect special. comparison right? It's, right there's obviously going to be differences but i do think it's one it's natural to a lot of people and there's which means there's probably something in it like too many people have independently come to the, the conclusion that Justin Fields reminds him of Russell Wilson in some way, shape, or form. And I think a lot of that is because they're going to land in the same area of style of play on that spectrum. And we just talked, you know, a couple of episodes ago, if you go back and listen to our discussion on Russell Wilson and how unique he is as a quarterback and the challenges that poses for that offense. Like Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but the way he plays the game still causes enough problems that it's 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 a pro, it's an issue for that team to navigate in terms of what that offense looks like, right? Now imagine that is the same thing for Justin Fields, only he isn't as good yet because he's a rookie. Now that like that's it's not as it's not this slam dunk of this guy's amazing, throw him out there. Sounds like Ryan Tannehill. Right. Now you're talking about a quarterback <laughs> that has some problems to his game that will cause some problems to his game. And oh, by the way, you have no offensive line. Like, a, That's Bears, what I wanted to get to. The Bears' offensive line is bad anyway. And have you seen, like, the injury reports for training camp? Like, none of them are practicing. The yeah. whole offensive line is hurt right now. Even if they're healthy. Again, I, I look at offensive lines with, you know, guys that you can expect good things from and then question marks. You know, it's, it's either or. Guys you can expect good, solid play from. Cody Whitehair and James Daniels. They're and both maybe guys with Cody Whitehair. Like, he struggled. Probably with Cody Whitehair. Right, but he's been up and down. They've been ridiculous with him, him moving back from center to guard. And Daniels, they've been moving them all around. It looks like they're going to project them to guard. Sam Mustafer, if it's if it is his, if, if he is playing center, big question mark. Tevin Jenkins, the right tackle out of Oklahoma that they're projecting to play left tackle. Excellent player in college. Mauler in the run game. Pass protection was still a question mark coming into the draft. Jermaine Effetti, who scheduled to be the starting right tackle. He played right tackle down the stretch, and he had some good games, some games where his pass blocking grade was in the 20s. That's the history of Jermaine Effetti playing right tackle. He'd been better at guard historically. Tevin Jenkins dealing with a back injury. He's missed all of training camp so far. So he might not even be ready to go. Right. Yeah, so that's – look, I think that's a question – even the playmakers, I think they have a chance to be pretty good. Allen Robinson's a star. He's awesome. Darnell Mooney was was really good as a rookie last year. So much speed, and I think they'll tap into his downfield ability. And then they'll find, you know, Marquise Goodwin's in there, Javon Wims, Demir Bird. Like, they'll find a And by the way, three. remember, like, we talk all the time about how a lot of the times teams are victims of, you know, having to sleep in the bed that they made, you know, or lie in the bed that – you made this bed, now you lie in it. What the hell is that phrase? Uh, the Bears voluntarily cut Charles Leno. Yeah. Okay, it was a salary cap move, but you know, maybe, maybe there were ways to find enough money to cover Charles Leno's salary this year so that you weren't rolling into the season with a rookie left tackle with known back issues who hasn't played in training camp. There's just, there's just a trickle-down effect there, right? Leno, league average left tackle. Jenkins, the rookie, can then play right tackle. Jermaine Effetti, instead of playing right tackle, can play guard. James Daniels and Cody Whitehair. I forget the exact way because they've just moved from guard to center all the time, but there was some combination that was best. 
So whatever that combination is, you move one of them to center, one of them to guard. There's a trickle-down effect to everybody else that gets the line closer to average. Hmm. And right now they look like a below-average offensive line. Well, so not just a below- that's the other reason why maybe they, you know, Andy, you know, get out there. Andy, yeah. get get out there, get rid of the ball quickly, and I would say right now it looks like a significantly below average offensive line. Ooh, you're being aggressive there. What about defensively here? They they're another team. A couple of years ago, they were incredible. They've slowly had to, to year of year over year they've had to revamp this this secondary. Uh, Eddie Jackson's still back there at safety. They bring back Tayshawn Gibson, Jalen Johnson, last year's first rounder. You know, had had good moments. I just every rookie. second round, right? Second rounder. See, sometimes he was a first round. First rounder in first my round mock. talent. Yeah, first round talent. He was first rounder when I mock drafted for him. Um, Jalen Johnson, They need a, I think they need a big second year from him. But even their starting secondary, who's up? Desmond Trufant, Artie Burns, Duke Shelley, Kendall Vildor. I mean, there's it's not the best looking secondary in the world either. Yeah, they and it was so Jalen Johnson was another one of those rookie corners that started off really well. It's like, oh, Jalen Johnson is this superstar. Should have been a first rounder. Second round pick, steal. And then as with all those rookie corners, those guys eventually got torched over the course of the season. And he ended up with an overall grade of 55, which is not good, right? Now, was that just because the whole... The whole sophomore class of cornerbacks is fascinating because, like, none of them were good. Yeah. They were all varying degrees of how badly you got beat, but ultimately they were all beat a lot. So now going into year two, it's like, well, what kind of step forward are these guys going to take? We really like some of the things that Jalen Johnson did, but all rookies in a COVID year too. I mean, there's, there's sure a there's a lot going there. against them, but ultimately, like, if Johnson plays at a 55 again, that's a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. So if he doesn't take like a massive step forward in year two. They don't have a single corner that you're confident in shutting anybody down. Khalil Mack, the classic PFF grade of 92.5, even though the sack totals weren't great. He just had a lot of quick wins that didn't necessarily show up on the field. Akeem Hicks wasn't his same dominant self when he was out there last year. Eddie Goldman coming off the uh, the nose tackle, coming off an opt-out, right? Or an yeah. injury, opt-out. Opt out, I think. Uh, so I think you know, the front seven should be solid. There, Robert Quinn is the pass rusher opposite Khalil Mack. You know, he's... He's just okay. They could have done. Be- they could have done better there. And Roquan Smith, from a coverage standpoint, has started to become that first yeah. round player that we saw uh, in college at Georgia. So look, I think the I think the front seven's pretty good. My big question is how the secondary comes together. Off, how, how, it sounds like the Steelers here. Secondary, offensive line. Yeah, it's going to be the biggest non quarterback story for these for the Bears this year. Yep. Where are they? What's their over under here? Scroll up. Not prepared, Sam. Just no, no, not prepared. Take your time. Don't but, worry. This is, this is seven. Fine. Seven. Uh, if Justin Fields is the starter, over. over. If Andy Dalton's the starter, under. No, over either way. Like you they over won, for the Bears. They won eight games with Trubisky at quarterback. All right, over for the Bears. Over for the Packers. Yeah. Vikings are at eight and a half. By the way, let's get into the Vikings right now. Let's do it. Timer. Timer. Let's keep it tight oh, on no. the Vikings, and then we get the Lions we to go. wrap go, it go, up. Go, go, go. Best and worst case scenario for the Vikings this year. <laughs> I, I I think after all their drafting over the last couple of years, this youth movement, I do think they'll be better this year. I think they've added some depth. Well, they're also they're getting they're a lot without, of players back. Yes. Like, they're, they're not without question marks. Their though. defensive front. I mean, last year was the first defense that Mike Zimmer has put together in years that was just not good. Um, and Zimmer was still doing his thing. Like the... Their Vikings numbers on third down were insane. 
Like, yeah. and that's a Zimmer thing, right? Zimmer is dialing up stuff on third down to combat what offenses want to do. Zimmer is still as cutting edge as he ever was. It's just he didn't have the personnel anymore. Let's like, hear some some Vikings defensive rankings last year. Okay, twenty seventh in EPA per play allowed, thirty second in pass rush grade. So that's what we'll talk about. How getting Danell Hunter back is a good start there. Twenty ninth in run defense grade, and then eighteenth in coverage grade. So the Zimmer defense certainly works better when they've got legitimate pass rushers up front. He sprinkles in the blitz nicely, and then they they play sound coverage on the back end. Landing at 18th from a coverage standpoint wasn't bad considering how ugly it was right. at times and last season. On third down last year, number two in EPA per play allowed. The only team they were better than the Rams last season in EPA per play allowed on third down. Sorry, what was that? The Rams? Yeah. Just the Rams. The, the league's number one defense, the Los Angeles Rams, and then the Vikings were third, and the Vikings were second. So, like on third down, yeah. they were still incredible, and that's because Mike Zimmer knows what he's doing and was still able to scheme up and dial up blitzes and do whatever he was doing to make sure that happened. It's just that when you looked, you can only do that for so like so many times, and top to bottom, they just didn't have the the talent to get it done. So now you're getting Michael Pierce back, who didn't play last year, opted out, an early um, down addition right, he right. Was a, he's a two down run stuffer you added dalvin tomlinson um you as a big free agent uh you added sheldon richardson back after him being with the browns for a couple of years you're getting Danell hunter back who the last time we saw him was coming off a career year look like finally becoming one of the very very best pass rushers in the nfl had 80 total pressures that season i think um you still had eric kendricks harrison smith and then the secondary um you bring in patrick peterson who okay isn't the player he used to be, but I think within this defense will actually look a lot better than he was in Arizona because the Vikings do, their sort of calling card in the secondary is they do everything and you can't tell all the times what they're going to do. So in order to, by doing everything, they essentially help out the corners by not asking them to do one thing constantly and therefore telegraphing it for the offense. So Patrick Peterson will do a lot more zone stuff than he was doing in Arizona and I think have a better time because of it. They bring in Bashad Breeland, who's been okay. Mackenzie Alexander comes back. And then you've got all the young guys that were stuck last year trying to do it by themselves. Cameron Dantzler. Okay, they don't have uh, their first round. Not all, the, not all the young guys. Right. But like, there's a lot of reasons to think that that defense should be a lot better than it was. Yeah. Um, any concern? Peterson's skill set has never really been zone coverage but at this point in his career I think it would be now yeah he can't he can't man up like he used to that's why it wasn't great in Arizona last year um and you mentioned Eric Hendricks and Harrison Smith I mean they're they're two of the better positions uh, players at their respective positions so yeah I think that's why I think there's I think there's a lot to be positive about with the Vikings they they're attacking the secondary with volume the veterans that you mentioned the mix they'll, they'll find they'll find the best group right yeah. in that secondary Plus the Zimmer factor, he does elevate his defenses overall, as you've highlighted. My question comes down to the offense, and I think you know the the, it's the Baker and it's the same problem they've had for years, which is why is their offensive line unable to get back to average? It's always bad. Now, it's still bad. The steps that they took to get there, we we lauded their process during the draft. We liked the fact that they traded down. Yeah. In the first round, still drafted Christian Darrisaw, who if they took him at thirteen or fourteen, was it fourteen? If they took him there, we said, "Hey, good." We'd say, "Hey, good pick." Is starting left a, tackle. Is that a red flag to you, though? The idea that they were prepared to trade down and not essentially lose him. So, like, if if they had just picked Darrisaw 
where they were drafting. You would be like, great pick. We love that fit. It's fantastic. It's an offensive lineman. They needed that. Great. The fact that they got him available when it didn't look like he would be available in some place, you know, depending on what you were looking at, then traded down and essentially went, yeah, that's great, but we're going to run the risk of not having him and then draft him anyway. That is not a ringing endorsement of how they feel about Christian Darisol. That's a it's a perspective, Sam. Which it's would definitely then a perspective add, that you have there. Which would know. then be added to the general perception in the NFL, if you want to put that together as like a one, you know, amalgam of the NFL was lower on this guy than we were because we thought he would be off the board at the time they picked. So now you've got the Vikings being low on him to the point where they were willing to risk not getting him, and the NFL who let him slip as far as the Vikings twice. The, the league generally doesn't seem to love yeah, I get, No, I get what you're saying. And I posed this sometime over the summer that, you know, perhaps we should perhaps we should think less about our priors and more about the consensus and all that stuff. I, I think they were just playing the game, man. I think they were just playing value. Um, I, I, I don't think it's smart to say I need to get a left tackle. Uh, I think they're just playing the board. And, and the way they played the board essentially led to getting a Christian Darasaw uh, getting a Wyatt Davis in the third round and getting a Kellen Mond. Right? A back, so a backup developmental quarterback, a potential starting guard in Wyatt Davis, and a starting left tackle in Christian Darasaw. I just think it's a good process. And, but yeah, maybe, maybe there's a concern that they were willing to, to roll the dice. Fine. Yeah, and things haven't been going for him, going great for him so far. <laughs> it's not like he stepped yeah. in and looked. And he's like, legitimately battling Rashad Hill for. Yeah, it's for not like he tackle. stepped in and looked like immediately. Okay, now okay, whatever the process. And whatever that says about him, he is the starting left tackle and he looks great in camp and things are going well and we're all happy. It's still up in the air. So along the offensive line, let's let's do what we did before. Who the sure sure things versus question marks. The the thing you can There's one sure thing. Yes, and that Brian O'Neill at right tackle, seventy eight grade last year, good and solid. Uh left and right guard has been a, left guard especially has been just a train wreck, yeah. right, in Minnesota. Center has not been good. Garrett Bradbury had a 61 grade former first round pick. Amazing that he's still starting. And he and he's supposed to be that perfect scheme fit. I mean, when you're watching center film and you see the incredible reach blocks that blocks that Garrett Bradbury executes, it's like boom, put him in that, get him in that Shanahan tree and all mm. that stuff, and run that outside zone. And but there's more to it than that. Pass protection has been a huge issue, and you do more than just reach block. The only good news for this offensive line is that. Both the guards, who were amongst the worst players in the NFL at their position last year, are probably not going to be starting this year. So they're replacing Drew Samia and Dakota Dozier, at least so far. I think Ezra Cleveland will do fine as a rookie at guard, a uh, second-year player at guard. Maybe, but again, like that, he was not. There's a lot of tackles, college tackles, that automatically get projected into guards because of the way they play the game and the way they're built and how they stack up you know generally big fire hydrant type of guys who don't have the length or athleticism and, and maybe are a little less finesse in their game you're like okay good left tackle in college though he was that guy's probably a left guard at the next level uh cleveland was not that kind of player like cleveland was the other end of the spectrum where you're like oh we really like his uh athleticism and his finesse but maybe he doesn't have the uh the weight and the size to be an nfl left tackle and that's why but now like that's the last player you want playing guard for you, and yeah, yet, I get it. Here we are. They really, and they, uh, they also mentioned that they really wanted to add size as well. They Darius was a big 
that was a big reason that they got him. He's a monster, and he does crush people in the run game. I was questioning Darius' scheme fit initially because remember you were mock drafting him to the Vikings. I was like, yeah. ah, not the cleanest outside zone blocker and all that stuff. So yeah, I get it. The offensive line is the big question mark again. Playmaker wise, if Justin Jeff if Justin Jefferson is healthy and Adam Thielen is healthy, these are ifs now with Jefferson in preseason and yeah, they're uh, Thielen's they're the history. But those two plus Dalvin Cook get some dudes here. Yes. They're the classic example of a team that's incredibly good in terms of the starters. But what happens if one of those guys gets fragile? Hurt? Very fragile. Just, yeah, not even like, not even that necessarily any one of those players is fragile, but the depth is insanely fragile. Like, if one of those guys gets hurt, your starter becomes some combination of, you know, D.D. Westbrook, Chad Beebe, um, Immer Smith, Marset, the rookie. Like, it is, it's not good. Yeah, so I mean that's what it's going to come down to here with the Vikings. They love to run the ball, set up play action. Cousins has played good, solid football. Uh, still don't necessarily trust Cousins as like the guy to to carry your team. In uh, you know, he's always put up good numbers. I do also think he's always ended up in a good system. He's always ended up in a system with good receivers. Not always the best offensive line, but a play-action-driven system that we talked about the personnel thing. He's going to face he's going to face uh, heavy boxes, looking to stop Dalvin Cook. He's in favorable passing situations. So is there another step to Cousins' game where he can legitimately – I know he played better in the fourth quarter last year too, even not in garbage time. Can he take over – and win some games on his own. I feel like that's the annual question. And outside of one game here and there, you never, you never really see it. Not enough. I mean, yeah. I think ultimately the worse the situation is around Kirk Cousins, the worse he plays. And I mean that in every scenario. So offensive line, uh, receiving talent, um, game situation, like all of these things, the worse it is in any one of those areas, the worse Cousins is going to play. And uh, the flip side of that is it means, yeah, if you have – the 2017 Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins can win you a Super Bowl. If you don't have that, and looking at this roster, they don't have that, he can't. Particularly not when there's like a Tampa Bay Buccaneers looming on the horizon, and that's the team you need to get past. All right, so eight and a half. Is that what I said? Uh, ten, yeah, I think so. Eight and a half. We're going over or under for the Vikings here. Uh, under. I'm going to go over. If they're healthy, I mean, obviously, but... That, not that you can preface that. I think they have enough offensive firepower. I'm a little curious about the offensive line additions. Maybe not getting great publicity at this point. Maybe don't want to overrate that. But if it is Rashad Hill and some of the you know playing left tackle, there's some questions. I mean, it would fit naturally. The defense will be better. Though. It would fit perfectly in their track record of offensive linemen, which is, hey, we drafted this guy to fix this position. Oh, we, like our, our, our left tackle of the future is now playing left guard. Okay. Back-to-back -back years of doing that. Um, I think the defense will be better, though. I'm going to go over for the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Detroit Lions. Yes. Uh, we went – we had a coffee uh, mishap this morning. We both went and – You're got, going Dan Campbell. Yeah, double, yeah so doubled up. So we got two Ventis with two shots in them each. We got 1,000 milligrams of caffeine. I'm just going to drink them all in honor of yeah. Dan. And it doesn't matter because you're six foot ten and – 280 mm. plus pounds oh, there's so much it's a lot of body to absorb caffeine so yeah i know there's a lot i need a lot of caffeine by it's, the way what questions are people asking dan campbell that like did you see yesterday he started, he went on some like soliloquy about how he used to clean chickens or something as a job 
No, but I kid. feel like I start. I need to start listening to his pressers a little. Well, bit I more. need to start finding out what they're asking him. Like, is this? Hey, your starting left guard, you know, gave up a couple of pressures here, and then somehow that segues into chicken skinning, or are they asking him like, "Hey, Dan, what did you do when you were 15?" You just go go where the road takes you. I I, I just I don't understand the process that's different for Dan Campbell and then he's question, talking about chickens and yeah, his caffeine in, in intake press conferences, and biting kneecaps versus other coaches where maybe these aren't just, coming up. I mean, given the kneecap biting or whatever, he maybe just volunteers this information. It's possible, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, what is the segue from, you know, hey, Okuda had a rough day out there today to, yeah, look, we've all had rough days. Back when I was 16, I was cleaning the chickens. I hated it. You know, I just, I, I, I'm curious. So given the rebuild in Detroit, what do you want to see? Like, what would happen this season to make you feel like, this is the regime to turn things around. We have faith in Dan Campbell and that they're moving in the right direction. Um, they just win. Their over-under is five, by the way. So obviously expectations are low. I mean, if they just have a good competitive season. I would like to see a couple of players take steps forward and I would like to see evidence that there's a scheme at work. So, you know, they might not be good because there's just, there's some major lack. There's a major dearth of talent at certain important positions. But if they have a scheme that shows they're not like undermining their players left and right that it was in previous years, if Jeffrey Okuda takes a step forward in particular, you know, guys like that, if it's like, all right, there's some redemption going on here, the system is functioning, now we just need to add talent in the right areas and we can move, move forward. I think that offensive line is potentially a very good unit. Um, if the scheme starts to do some of the things we've talked about, for other teams, you know, where it's elevating the the players and making life easier. And maybe Jared Goff doesn't look like a total disaster, even though he doesn't have guys to throw to because the line's okay and the scheme's doing some clever things. That's all they're shooting for so that they can say, yeah, this was a step in the right direction. And now next offseason, we go big on wide receivers and maybe, you know, a couple of other spots. And now we're rebuilt. I think the trench play will be fascinating. It's what we talked about quite a bit around the draft. It's what they did strategically with their first three picks. Panay Sewell, Alim McNeil, getting a lot of a lot of hype already. The monster nose tackle out of NC State. Levi and Wuzurike out of Washington. So watching uh, John Penasini, too, back there as well. Big uh, run stuffer out of Utah if they could tap into that skill set. I think the trenches are intriguing for the Lions. Uh, Jared Goff, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what he does outside of the uh, – you know the McVeigh's wings or you know covering uh what is Jared Goff right more Jared Goff we've only seen Jared Goff with uh, Jeff Fisher for a year yeah <laughs> yeah he was a rookie and things were things were very different back then and we've seen him with with Sean McVeigh like does he he's not gonna look as bad as he did with Je jo uh, Jeff Fisher right like McVeigh's not that good with Jared Goff so well, yeah I want to see Goff in this in this new system with you know, some definitely a questionable group of receivers with Prashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown as the top three. I'm also kind of curious that does so it became a problem for Sean McVay that Jared Goff was essentially this paint by numbers quarterback. And all he could do was like, okay, he told me to go out there and go one to two to three and execute this in this exact pattern, and that's what I'm gonna do. And it became like an issue that he just couldn't do anything by himself, right? He was almost like this automaton uh, or like a remote control quarterback that McVeigh had to function from the sideline, you know, before the, the headset cuts out at 15 seconds before the play uh, and those kinds of things. So it's like, 
if you're McVeigh, I, I need something that can function on his own. I need to go get Matthew Stafford, send him out there with the rough idea, and then he can make a masterpiece happen. But I'm curious about whether McVeigh actually fed that from a Jared Goff point of view. Uh, that was what I was going to say. I like, if if you are this quarterback who sort of um, skews towards a subservient role within this whole thing, and this guy is like telling me what to do right up until 15 seconds before the snap where the play or the headset cuts out and I have this rigid formula that I have to go through and like does he just seize up and become this is what I do now I'm just a, I'm just a a function of this dude's offense freed from that do you actually see Jared Goff like get a bit more creative and a bit more independent and play better because of it so what I was going to say about Goff if you were describing his skill set coming out of Cal in which system he would have success in, you would never pair him with McVeigh. You because Goff, well, he was he was in the shotgun the whole time. He was running air raid. He was uh, he was really quick through his progressions, and he he I think he mastered the air raid really well for whatever that's worth. Um, he also had some back shoulder creativity. Like when you watch a quarterback, and it's like, oh, he he threw this pass that you don't always make, but he executed it right. He saw a guy threw it to a tiny window and got it to him. None of that stuff is really a part of McVay's offense. They don't run a ton of quick game. He's under center, was under center a ton. They put him out on, you know, boot action all the time. Something you're like, Jared Goff? He's not he's like the one of like the bottom five guys you would expect to roll out a lot, you know, in the NFL. So that's what I'm intrigued by. I don't think his and he was fine. I think he executed the system fine. Paint by numbers was a good description for how he played in that system. But I'm intrigued by it too. Even with maybe not the best playmakers, as we said, do they? Is he in the gun a lot more? Is it more vertically driven? Can he use a little creativity trying to beat man coverage and you know, with the big receivers and Perryman and Williams throwing back shoulders and the whole deal? So uh, I'll be watching Goff because I think you know Goff data points, man. Outside of the <laughs> uh, the McVeigh umbrella, and you mentioned the intriguing players. I'll, I'll cite it once again when you when you ask your corners to play a ton of man coverage like the Lions did for the most part most of the last three years. You might get some ugly grades in there. Amani Oruwariye, Jeffrey Akuda can be very good players. I still think they can yeah. be. And we'll see. And uh, Afatu Malafonwu, who they drafted out of Syracuse, big dude who can move. Um, so I think the secondary is intriguing too here for the Lions. Yeah. I mean, I would be amazed if all if both those guys and then Malafonwu weren't actually a lot better than what they had last year this season just from changing the scheme. And let's just describe the entire roster is in a clear rebuild, but the offensive line, I think we ranked them seventh. I get at the top of my head. Taylor Decker at left tackle is very good. Panay Sewell, the first round pick at right tackle. Frank Ragnow just signed the highest center deal in history. Top three center probably in the NFL now as well. Guard is a bit of a question, but intriguing players in Jonah Jackson. Vitae moves in there where he's been solid. I mean, we might be looking at – it's just going to be an interesting dynamic where they'll have this good line, not great playmakers. Whatever Jared Goff is, they might move the ball better. It might be a big DeAndre Swift year too if those dudes are run blocking like they can and DeAndre, all of a sudden there's a rushing attack yeah. in Detroit. Everything that they said Stafford needed for years, but the pass game isn't good. Like that – could be the way the Lions look this year just by the roster construction. I don't think the Lions will be as bad as everybody thinks they will. Look I, at us talking us into some positivity here. The Lions are the second favorite for the number one overall pick after Houston, obviously. Um, I don't think they're that bad. Now, okay, we've said before that for a while now there haven't been that many glaringly terrible teams every year. Right. So you're sort of the, the number two favorite for the number one overall pick is oftentimes actually a team that doesn't look awful. 
you know, on paper. Yeah. And the Lions, I guess, fit that ticket. But it, it feels like people are underrating where this team is because of how bad they were under the previous regime. You usually have to have horrendous quarterback play to have that number one overall pick. And even last year, like <clears throat> Sam Darnold isn't in that level. The Jets were competing. Gardner Minshew certainly wasn't in that bucket, although with some of the backups in there, it wasn't great. So yeah, usually like Jared Goff could be just good enough that they do win five or six games. That's the over-under is at five. I don't know that it's a lock to go under. I'm talking myself into them being competitive, but it's yeah. a big unknown. We don't know much about Dan Campbell, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator. We don't know much about them. It's it's first time for these guys. Yep. Uh, would you go over or under? I'm going over five. Over. I think people are sleeping on the Lions You're just to, a, to a degree. Classic Sam has gone over for all NFC North teams. Sands. No, I know. Yeah, Vikings. Said the Vikings. Sands the Vikings. I know. Let I me know. finish. Noted Vikings hater Sam Monson over here. Mm. I'll say under just to even it up. I think I went over for two and under for under for two <laughs> in the NFC North just to balance it out. Yeah, that's how you do it. I see. I went over for everybody in the NFC West except the did. Rams, and I didn't love it. Look at that. We're through uh, three quarters of the league, and that only took us about two hours. Yeah, yeah. And really, we went live. We appreciate really everybody tuning in live. Any good questions here in the uh, in the chat that we want to answer? Uh, we don't have time to answer. Them no, we don't. Hour, so. Uh, ha I decided hashtag PFF NFL podcast. Oh, I see. Hashtag PFF That's NFL podcast. Creative. Send your team centric questions and we will take one question per team and answer it next Thursday here on the PFF NFL podcast. That's it. We might also answer it on the daily because there's nothing happening right we now. We also might answer them on the daily. So the Norths and the Central are in the books. We'll hit up the South next Monday, previewing every team here in the NFL. We got football this weekend, Thursday through. Sunday, is it? I don't know. There's games every day. Mm. So enjoy the preseason action. We'll be back here on Monday previewing the AFC and NFC South and probably have a little bit of uh, some takeaways from the preseason. Okay. See you Monday.